0: Hey guys, what's up? It is week 143. I think it's 143. I have a bunch of reviews for you, a um, uh, theater experience, uh fairly large update. Uh, first, I want to start this out with uh, a thank you and for some love and uh, feedback because I asked about the trailers and everything because the whole escapade uh, last week or the week before with ghost stories, getting my video taken down or whatnot. But I asked if you guys w- like the trailers and clips and everything like that, and. Pretty much, it was a resounding yes uh, for the trailers and clips, so keep them in, so I will. I, if it was up to me, like I said, I would make every video a video essay, and you barely see me, but uh, there's no way I'm going to take the time to edit all that stuff together, and then just fight the copyrights every three and a half seconds, because it, it that, like I said, it's very hard to do those, because you have to work your way around everything. You mostly be using stills and second clips. It would just be tons and tons of work, and I'd never get away with it. Um, Even if you see some of the professional video essays on um, Blu-rays and stuff, they use pictures and trailers because they don't have the uh, rights to use the actual footage and whatnot. So, uh, And also, I just want to... I got a lot of comments and positive feedback last week, and I want to thank you guys for that. Um, You know, like I said, it's hard. You see the views, and you see some of the thumbs up or whatever, but you really don't know what people are thinking. Is it the same 10 people watching a video You don't know but it was nice to see some comments and some positive feedback and uh, if you got negative feedback or positive feedback as long as it's it's there to help me get better i'll listen to it and i appreciate it so let's hop into these reviews and the first review is from 1990 from arrow video and this is deadly manor which is a Jose Raz movie. Uh, Errol's been kind of going down uh, his uh, filmography as much as they can get. So uh, earlier, I think last year, we had the Jose Blood Bloodhunger box, and it had Coming of Sin, Whirlpool, and Vampires in it. And it's a nice little box set. And then a couple weeks back, they put out Edge of the Axe, which is a cool little late 80s slasher movie. And uh, Jose Raz did a few movies in America towards the end of his career, Um, Edge of the Axe, Rest in Pieces, and Deadly Manor in 1990. So it's definitely late in the slasher world, but Jose Raz doesn't really make movies like anybody else typically. Um, Yeah, and and the commentary on here really helps because we have Cat Ellinger and Sam Deacon talk about his career. They know quite a bit, and they point out some odds and ends about this movie. And and you do notice them while watching, but it just helps that they reinforce it as well. So the plot of this movie uh, is kind of a strange one. It opens up with kind of a It looks like the scene of an accident, um, motor motor vehicle accident, motorcycle accident, and there's two naked people just laying there, male and female, and you're like, wow, that's kind of a crazy way to start it. And then it gets pretty typical slasher territory. We have a group of kids driving aimlessly to a lake. They don't know where they're going. They're, They're goofy. They're kind of just stereotypical. And they pick up a weird hitchhiker who's got a limp. You're like, did he get in an accident? Hmm, this seems very suspicious. Regardless, he tells them he knows where the lake is. They end up getting kind of lost decide and this is such a gothic thing and they point this out in the commentary too and i thought the same thing because i've been watching tons of hammer movies i'm like how come it is every time somebody gets lost in the woods or lost in the middle of nowhere traveling they just decide here's an empty mansion that i don't own i don't know it looks uh, abandoned i'm just gonna go in it so everybody does that in every horror movie it's the biggest horror movie trope there is here's a weird creepy mansion maybe it's raining maybe it's cold i'm just gonna go in Nobody's going to know. It's abandoned, right? Of course it's not abandoned, you idiot. You're going to get killed. It's a horror movie. But uh, we all know this. So they decide to go into this abandoned mansion they find in the woods that's kind of dilapidated. And right away, there's weird things going on. There's a crack in the wall. There's coffins there. And uh, slowly, kind of in the beginning, but surely, they start to get picked off and kind of... um, Half-hazard dust, half-hazardly done dust. You know, throat slits here and there. The one thing about Jose Laraz is, you know, if you watch a crummy slasher from the '70s or '80s, that's just bottom of the barrel junk. Um, even when it's remastered, a lot of times you're like, this is cinematography shit, it looks like shit. While watching this one, I was like, man, Errol really cleaned this up, and I imagine they could clean it up. Then they do a great job, but they cleaned it up because you know Jose Laraz is a is a competent filmmaker. Even if the movie script or the subject matter isn't great, he shoot he he has his crew shoot well. It's a professional crew. He uses nice locations. He knows what he's doing when it comes to filmmaking even if sometimes the story or the script is lacking. And it is here. It is but there are some weird bits that keep you going. And like I said, it's a good looking movie. The dialogue's weird as all kind of foreign movies directed by, you know, a foreign uh, director making an American movie that's kind of involved in the the dialogue and stuff. It always comes across weird and cheesy, but uh, it turns out that there is somebody in the house and it ties into an accident and they're out for revenge. Uh, What he does manage to do is squeeze in a good amount of nudity, um, some crazy sex scenes, some good atmosphere. Like I said, the kills are kind of eh whatever and you know what surprised me about this one is people are dying that I don't expect to die I'm like who who's the lead of this movie who is the protagonist I don't know it doesn't really matter but oh well you know it's that kind of deal uh, there is a really cool scene that involves that crack in the wall finally opening. And who the killer is is also kind of cool. They, probably the best actress in the movie is the killer. Sorry I spoiled it. It's a woman. But um, this movie, I don't think, is one that um, is something that's really going to get that spoiled by... You know, just if you watching it, you'll be like, you know, you're just in for the ride. Uh, I enjoy it. Um, it's right down the middle for me. I, I don't love it, but I do think it's worth watching. And if it was told by, if it was directed by a lesser director, it would be unwatchable, to be honest, I'm not going to lie. But uh, there's things that you see that you typically wouldn't see in a slasher movie from this time, male nudity, um, weird perverse things, uh, and uh, there's some cool stuff. Like It also has that, you know, reoccurring thing with uh, Jose LaRoz having the character's Like, Edge of the Axe has the white mask. This character has the white mask. And the makeup on this character is actually pretty solid as well. All in all, it's worth a look, especially if you're a a slasher enthusiast. Uh, What I really liked about this disc, again, was the commentary helped along, um... They you know bring in other movies similar to it and talk about Laraz's um, you know career and how it pertains to this movie and everything like that. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, they also have a commentary, so they have a good back and forth together. And there's also an amazing interview with uh, the antagonist of the movie, and she was kind of like a playmate, and she did a bunch of B horror movies, uh, a lot that we've probably all seen. And she talks about her career and talks about working on this movie, and she doesn't hold things back. She's just definitely one of those people that's like, it is what it is, you know? It's it's, and she's honest. And she's intelligent, and she she doesn't she's a no bullshit kind of person. Talks about being on set, and Jose was a cool guy, and liked him. But some of the uh, the uh, co-stars were just aw- absolutely awful to work with. All in all, it's a nice disc, uh, nice release. Looks amazing. Can't believe they polished this movie this well. Them um, and Vinegar Syndrome sometimes they they turn these movies that um, are typically not well respected or well loved, and they make them look like gold. They give them better treatments than a lot of the studios or other genre labels do. Um, but yeah, it's a nice release from Arrow Video, and I'm looking forward to checking out Rest in Pieces. I think Vinegar Syndrome's got that one. So, uh, yeah, complete the José Lara's Ladder Trilogy. So, um, Deadly Manor.
1: Mr.
2: Navigator, how long before we get to this lake?
0: I don't know. I don't think it's going to be too much longer, but...
1: Maybe a little longer than expected.
0: <laughs> Shit, Tony, I thought you knew this area. Hey, to say I know the area well is pushing it a bit. I mean, I was up here once last year, but I was on a bike. Here,
3: now let me see this. Now, what's it in that famous lake?
0: I don't know. It's... Wanapapi Poppy or Manawata. I don't know. It's something like that. Okay, the next one kind of starts my walk down 1985. Uh, For undisclosed reasons right now, I'll be covering a lot of 1985 movies until the end of March. So a lot of these videos will be sprinkled with 1985 horror and horror-adjacent movies. And the first one we're going to talk about is the 1985 classic, Silver Bullet. This is the new Shout Factory release, or newer, and um, Silver Bullet is based on the Stephen King kind of like, I guess it's it's a really short novella. I don't even know if it's a novella short. It's like a picture book called Cycle the Werewolf that I read years back. And I'm going to be honest with you, um, I had great fondness for this movie as a child. Silver Bullet. Used to watch it all the time. Um, it has... Uh, a small town approach, like Stephen King always has. It has a kid. Um, kids is kind of the main characters in the movie, so it's always approachable for a young child to be involved in that world and be scared by it. Um, I love the small town feel of this movie. The small town feel. It works perfect. It's sprinkled with a lot of actors that you'll recognize from um, uh, Gary Busey, of course, who's top notch in this one and kind of was on a downside in his career at the time and got a great, nice role that fit him perfectly. Corey Haim, who is the kid in the wheelchair one of the main characters, and uh, it's actually told by his sister's narration, though, so you don't know if Corey Hamer, you know, is going to bite it or not in the movie, Um, but, and there's some, like I said, the people of the town, which is what I kind of wanted to talk about, and this is kind of my, you know, bread and butter for movies, Uh, it's got some character actors like Lawrence Tierney, who's the bartender, (laughs) love it, Terry O'Quinn, from Stepfather and a slew of other movies, Young Guns. He plays the town sheriff. And then we also have Everett McGill as the uh, pastor or uh, reverend of the area. So it's got a really nice cast. Um, It's also got um, Wooly from uh, Dawn of the Dead in it, which I saw him and I said, man, is that Wooly? Um, As an abusive kind of uh, father. Okay, the plot of the movie starts off... It's pretty like narration. It starts off right away with... Uh, geez, who's the actor? Kind of uh, James Gammon. Kind of just wandering the railroad tracks. And uh, they think it was an accident how he dies. But he gets his head knocked off. And we realize it's a werewolf. Effects done by uh, Carlo uh, Rimbaldi. Who did E.T. Possession. Some uh, Lizard in a Woman's Skin. And he made this werewolf look like a freaking bear. But uh, it's a it's a, like a werebear. But who cares? It looks awesome anyways. <laughs> as far as werebears are concerned. Bipedal were Bipedal werebears. But, um, so, so it starts as like, almost like, like kind of like child movie. <laughs> to me, it feels like a kid's movie with the narration and the kid, uh, protagonist. And it just tells a story of the unfolding of the werewolf coming through. And basically it's up to the kids to, you know, uh, figure out who the werewolf is. What this movie does really well, like I already stated, is a small town feel, but it has these beats of drama that are actually like, take it to the next step, elevate it in a, in a, in a way that feels personal. Like um, there's a somebody who gets killed and it's a, a parent's reaction. And that parent's reaction, it's just, oh, it, it's brutal. It hurts really bad. And um, throughout the entire movie, you see this character and they're just completely bonkers and just completely lose their mind. There's some great dialogue between him and the sheriff, where he goes off and says, What's he say? Something about justice, and, and it's just delivered great. Um, like I said, th- you could tell this town has a nice history. The characters have a history amongst each other. There's lots of moments that I laughed out loud um, because of the uh, tension, and also just the moments that felt like real, like I could see actually happening, especially like Lawrence Tierney's in the bar, and he pulls out his bat and it has Peacemaker on there. There's just nice little touches like that, and he's like, Who's drinking? Now who's drinking? Uh, just uh, I-, I really enjoy it. Like I said. And it's gratuitously violent, which kind of shocked me, to be honest. I didn't remember it being this violent, but it's the mid-80s, right? And it's uh, um, it's Delorentis De pushing the button, and we need gore, we need blood. So it's there. Um, and, and it's also strange that there's a lot of POV werewolf attacks, which I don't remember seeing. But um, who the werewolf targets at times also pertains to who the werewolf's identity is, which I also loved. Um, there's a great nightmare sequence. It's just a really good werewolf movie. Shout cleaned it up. Um, they did a good job on the release. I was very happy with it. Um, there's an interview with Everett McGill, which I loved hearing. There's an interview with Kent Broadhurst, who uh, plays uh, the upset uh, parent, and uh, there's also two commentaries on here, or, or one for sure. Uh, one narrated by Michael Felsher, who I love uh, interviewing the director, and he talks about how this was he wanted it to be PG-13, and you can kind of feel that influence, almost like a Goonies type deal. But uh, you know, D- Dino wanted it to be R-rated, so he pushed that. Uh, gore uh level and there's lots of crazy things like like the werewolf being under floorboards looking up at people and the it never blinks so that's kind of cheesy but at the same time when, when it's looking up like that on the floorboards you're like that's kind of freaking creepy but uh I, I love it it's it's classic for me um one of my favorite stephen king adaptations and uh it, one of my favorite werewolf movies i mean i know i love werewolves but let's be honest there's not that many great werewolf movies they're maybe lucky to have a dozen you know to be honest so um it's definitely in that dozen. Um, Silver bullet.
1: It began in May. And every month after that, whenever the moon was full, it happened again. And again. What's that? Over there. Me. Nobody knew who or what was responsible. Come on. They only knew it had to be stopped. Now, from the master of mystery and suspense. Stephen king's Silver Bullet the last glimmering hope
0: okay another one from 1985 is also released by shout screen Factory and this is the doctor and the Devils and um, I had never seen this one so I was like okay it's gonna be exciting to watch a you know a semi classic it's kind of uh, underappreciated, underrated movie <laughs> from 85 this is directed by Freddie Francis, which is kind of late in Freddie Francis' career because Freddie Francis was known for being kind of like an older British director who did some Hammer stuff, who did some Amicus stuff, worked with Peter Cush and Christopher Lee, those kind of guys. And I watched a lot of that stuff and I've seen a lot of that stuff lately. So when I put in this one and realized it was basically a, a telling or a, a retelling of Burke and Hare, the story of Burke and Hare, which I actually am intrigued by and I do think it's a great story, um, you know, it's been some adaptations I have seen and enjoyed as well, um, the the last one being the one by John Landis with uh, Simon Pegg and uh, Andy Circus. So yeah, I, I put this in and I thought, wow, geez, this is, is this Birkin hair? And, Hare? and it, it, it turned out to be, um, set design's perfect. It, it's like, it's so great to see like Freddie Francis get the money because you know those Hammer movies always had good set design and good production value and stuff. But to see it with a budget behind it was kind of refreshing, and it felt legitimately like I was in this world. And uh, the the world of Burke and Hare is we're trying to make scientific discoveries. Um, there's a lot of scientists around, but there's also a lot of superstition and, and heavy religious influences. So it's hard to get bodies. There's a, a, a rule that you basically can only get bodies from the condemned men who have been hung. And uh so, you know, there's grave robbers that are digging under the grave and delivering bodies to science institutions illegally, and Burke and Hare realize they can make a lot of money uh, by doing this, and so they start to murder people. And this is a true story. In the movie, they're actually not Burke and Hare, they're called something else, they're called um Bob and I can't think of the other name. But they're played wonderfully by Jonathan Price and um and uh, geez, uh, Stephen Ray are both tremendous actors and like I said, I, I give, every time I see Jonathan Price, it's always always a great performance and Stephen Ray too, Stephen Ray's in stuff like Citizen X and The Crying Game while Jonathan Price is in Something Wicked This Way Comes, Evita, they're just really strong actors uh, rounded out on this cast is also Julian Sands, Twiggy, uh, Timothy Dalton as the doctor who is definitely kind of fighting with this consciousness of, you know, he's a, he's a very practical man, he's free- science. He doesn't care about the morality. He thinks that he needs to push this boundary further and further. And it becomes more and more obvious that where these bodies are coming from. It's got a great gothic feel, it's got a dirty feel, and at times it's it's very funny just because, you know, Burke and Hare are are Idiots, they're morons. But uh, you see that there's a turmoil between them as well, and there is no loyalty in this world. Uh, every time they portray like London at this time, or, or Britain in general, and the big cities, it always just kind of makes my stomach sick because it just feels like such an awful way to live. So if like, you go back to those times of like Jack the Ripper or Burke and Harry, you're just like, man, oh man, what a tough time to live. Um, there's also really great moments that are touching and sad um, that. I, I think I remember hearing it Really Happens, or somewhat, you know, they're probably embellished for the movie, but stuff about them picking up this old woman, and they'd get them drunk, and stuff like It's just really kind of hard to take at, at times, but uh, the really strong performances help, um, and all in all, I thought it was a great movie, a great drama piece. And uh, it does bring up some questions about science. They def- eventually did change that law, thankfully, but, um, you know, also, how far do you go for science? I- and, you know, it definitely has those themes, you know, the Frankenstein theme of going that far, i and imagine, you know. But uh, a great movie, um, and it looks so good, and it was so nice to see Freddie Francis get some money to make a movie like this. And I know it didn't do well, but I think it's a totally underrated movie.
3: I think we're being supplied with the victims of murder. We are anatomists, not policemen. We're scientists, not moralists.
1: I need bodies. They brought bodies. I pay for what I need. I do not hire murderers. In a time when men of science... Do you realize the progress that could be made in medicine if we were to be given free access? To what? Bodies worked hand in hand with men of evil
3: there's work to be done money to be made
1: a doctor's desire for the truth became an obsession this is the best material i've had in years and a criminal's greed Ah! became something much deadlier just have your money ready and your mouth shut this one's fresh too fresh i
4: frightened thomas Over up for god's sake they need
3: assistance. Let me go. I won't say nothing. Else. swear it.
1: Fallon and Broom provide
3: that assistance. They will call you murderer and butcher. The man must be stopped.
1: Ah! You're a rotten, lying murderer. Fresh bodies, fresh bodies. What you love is the feeling when you're stopping her life. The Doctor and the Devils.
0: What can I really say about the next one? I only I watch this one because I haven't seen it in so long. At maybe a few years. I tend to watch this movie every few years but I wanted to revisit it and I know I haven't reviewed it for the weekly videos but this is Lamberto Bava's Demons. This is the Synapse Steelbook. How could I not get the Steelbook right? It's one of my all-time favorite movies produced by Dario Argento in 1985 of course. uh stars some familiar faces like Bobby Rhodes, Goretta Goretta, uh, Michele Soave, um, uh, who is it? Urbano Barberini. So it's just faces from the Italian films that we will know. It also stars probably considered the two most annoying child actors of any Italian films. It has Bob from House by the Cemetery, and as has the little red-haired girl who's in, I think, Deep Red, and a bunch of Night Child, a bunch of other stuff. The two kids that everybody just kind of found annoying through the movies, even though it's completely not their fault. But Demons. Um, you know what I loved about these 85 movies is none of them are too long. They're usually an hour and a half, an hour and 40 minutes max, and I love that. Even though I love a lot of the new movies that come out today, watching these 85 movies was freaking refreshing. Oh, they're, you're, you're in an hour and a half and you're done. Sometimes less. I don't have to, you know... I, I do like the, the tension and stuff, but these movies do that too, and they do it in an hour and a half. But um, regardless, what can I say about Demons? Um, definitely Nightmare Logic, but at its finest. And, you know, some people would say, I remember one of my friends had this on, and we had seen it before, and um, we, we enjoyed it. I think I showed it to him years ago. And he had his, um, I think it was his wife, or his long-term girlfriend at the time. And she came in, and she saw the helicopter fall in the building and she says, I don't know what's, what. this doesn't make any sense. And she didn't understand it. And I'm thinking it takes a special intelligent person to understand demons, right? I'm just kidding because it doesn't make any sense in a lot of ways. And that's a huge part why I love it. Um, Okay so the, the pretty much the antagon- the protagonist of this movie is walking around uh, um, a subway and basically five minutes you hear the the do the music It's Simonetti um, from Goblin, Claudio Simonetti uh, music and it's just awesome. She's walking, and this creepy guy in this silver mask, played by Mikhail Suave, future great director, gives her these golden tickets to, um, geez, what is the theater? I can't think of it. She starts handing out all these tickets to people to see a movie. She gives one to her friend. Uh, They end up showing up to this reopened theater, and, uh, there's a bunch of weird kind of people there. Not, not so weird, but there's a a husband and wife, um, and the husband's a sadistic asshole. There's Bobby Rhodes, who's a pimp, and he has two of his uh, finest girls with him, uh, uh, Goretta Goretta, and I can't think of the other actress's name. There's a couple other kids there, one play, played by Ur- Urbano Barberini, and there's weird, there's like a ticket taker there, there's a blind man there. Can you make an Italian movie without having a blind man in it? No, you can't, okay? So if it doesn't have a blind guy in it, it's not an Italian horror movie, alright? But, uh, so, essentially what happens is, um, one of the girls sees a prop out there, which is like a is it a dirt bike or a motorcycle? It's gotta be a motorcycle, and it has this demon mask on it, and she takes it off, and she starts joking around with it, and it cuts her face and then they fast forward they start watching the film and all the characters are kind of getting set up some are you know talking and whatnot and um You kind of learn a little bit about the characters. And what happens is uh, the film on there is is about Nostradamus. It's it's, it's this weird kind of thing. He predicted all these things. And they're digging through this tomb. And they uh, find the same mask in there. And somebody gets cut by it. They turn into a demon. And what happens on the screen starts to invade the real world. And it starts to happen in the movie theater. There's a demon outbreak. And they're all trapped in there trying to find a way out. And they think it's the film. And this is kind of even a statement on itself. That the the film world is invading the real world world and is it the evil of the film that did it or is this artifact actually based on something real and this movie was based on it's it's, it's it gets you thinking to think what the hell nightmare logic or something like that but also maybe there is some sort of mythology to it but it, it's going to be hard to decipher especially when you start adding in the sequels but um or the semi-sequels the sequel and then the semi-sequels or whatever the hell they did with it but anyways, um, what's so cool about this are the special effects. It's got to be Um They're just amazing effects. And they're, they're one of the most iconic monsters, to be honest. When I think demons, I think these. Um, so their fingernails grow out and they get razor sharp. Their teeth uh, the fangs grow through there, and, and their eyes just go crazy, and they do some amazing effects where their eyes light up. And, and it, be, it, it is kind of a zombie narrative in the movie, although not a zombie film, because this also suspects supernatural, but it spreads an infection through the scratches or through the bites. So all hell breaks loose in this movie theater, and it's kind of a fight for survival. Um, characters get picked off. There's some really great ones. Some of the standouts, of course, are Bobby Rhodes as Tony. Uh, love Tony, his voice. uh Where the hell is Rosemary? And it's just, he's got some of the most memorable things. uh it, It's gory. Like I said, the people get ripped to shreds. They add in this punks that come in. Um, and and this whole punk element. It's got this punk aesthetic at times with the punks and everything like that. Love their addition. Um, But this is the most heavy metal movie of all time, and a heavy metal horror movie of all time. And, you know, I think that, like... I never was a big fan of metal music in movies, period. And uh, but stuff like this, uh, the mid-Italian stuff that, like, Phenomenon or Deep Red or Opera that adds it, I'm a sucker for it. I just maybe that music is better to me. Maybe it's something I like. But I had friends that used to listen to it when I was young, and they dug it. So maybe it's just like it's a mix of melodic um, metal that I like as as a soundtrack. And I feel that maybe you know, with Simonetti in there, it kind of mixes it and makes that bridges that gap. But I love it. I normally wouldn't love it. So you get lots of bands, like, you know, bigger bands, like Billy Idol's even on the soundtrack. Um, and, and this movie is one of those ones hits, I, I, I've seen so many times that when the, the music hits, it's like, yeah, I remember the beats for it. But uh, it ends in this great finale with the motorcycle and a sword and driving through the theater. And I'm like, is this just not the most badass metal thing I've ever seen in my life? I love it. It ends in a crazy, uh, chaotic apocalyptic note which I, I can't get enough of um, it, like I said I love this movie it's a perfect horror movie for me um, one of the shining stars of 1985 and one of the shining stars of the 80s and horror movies and Italy in general for me uh, I, I damn near love the thing Dario's influences are all in here uh, and there's great scary beats too like when the woman kind of separates off she runs into to look for an exit and she's by herself and the door closes oh man or or the, the People run down the hallway, and and she looks out the hallway, but there's a demon coming down. She can't get out of the room. Just like, oh, man. And then, you know, somebody else goes in that room later, and you know that there's a demon in there. You're like, don't go in that room. Um, But just gives it, it lets it breathe when it it can to. But uh, there's, you know, I just love the damn thing. Nightmare Logic at its finest, and this uh, new Synapse release has three audio ways to listen uh, to to watch the movie. It has the international dub, the the Italian dub, but it has the original American dub too, which is the one I saw originally as a kid. Um, And there's some different notes in there. I saw a great article that broke them all down, but regardless, that's the one I I listened to. And and, you know, when I had my VHS, that's the soundtrack it had on there. But uh, I can't talk enough about how great this movie is. There's interviews with Alumberto Bava and uh, um, Dardy Argento on the disc and some other people. So great release. Looks phenomenal too. I can't believe this one looks so good. It was like when uh, Blue Underground remastered Zombie um, that I was like, oh man, I've never seen it look this good. Their, their latest release, it was like that for me with Demons too. I was just like, oh wow, I meant with Demons. It was just like, I've never seen it look this good. Top notch release to a top notch movie.
3: The preview you are about to watch is for a movie that is unlike any you have ever seen before. It is for a movie that goes beyond temporary fear to everlasting terror. It is a movie called Demons. Yes, the demons are coming, and they're coming for you. Warning. If you have the courage to see demons sit near an exit, otherwise, you might never get out. In your theater, who will survive the touch of the demons and who will not? Demons, with music by Billy Idol, Mötley Crüe, The Adventures, Rick Springfield, and Saxon. This is no dream. This is happening right now. It could be happening to you. Demons. They will make cemeteries their cathedrals. And the cities will be your tombs. Will you survive it? Demons.
0: Okay, we got another one from 1985 from Synapse Films and this is Thou Not Sh- Thou Shall Not Kill. dot 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 except. Uh yeah this is by uh you know those michigan boys uh, a guy named josh becker and he was from that ramey school man that ramey group he's not the school but the ramey group sam ramey bruce campbell ted ramey all them guys uh, scott spiegel so yeah he came from that kind of school those michigan filmmakers that uh, were super inventive and made stuff on a low budget splatter gore effects and and when i think you know michigan and i think that independent filmmaking i can't help but think of evil dead and you know basically splatter mixed with the three stooges and uh just that kind of zany kind of deal thou shalt not kill has a batshit crazy plot it's essentially marines from vietnam versus the manson family that's a great plot, right? That's I mean that's just a great like uh, a little line you would read and be like I got to see that movie. Um, originally, this one was made in 1980 as a short film called Striker's War that starred Bruce Campbell. Um, uh, and it was shot on what Super 8? Maybe it was eight, a Super eight millimeter film and directed by Josh Becker. Uh, him and Bruce Campbell came up with the idea. They were going to call it Bloodbath, Change through yada yada yada, and then we have Striker's War, which is about a 48 minute um, Vietnam kind of same plot movie, uh, starting Vietnam, fight some hippies also still stars Sam Raimi. Uh, That is on the disc as well, and it's nice to watch. But later on, they decided to make it a feature length, and uh, Sam Raimi came back. Bruce Campbell, unfortunately, did not. But uh, yeah, the the plot is the same. We open up in Vietnam. There's basically a group of like three friends and kind of a commanding officer who's kind of a dick. Uh, Stryker gets injured, gets sent back home. Uh, He meets a girl and uh you know they're, they're kind of having a thing his buddies come back in the town to do some drinking and that co you know they're around the area so they said let's look up striker meanwhile basically the manson family murders are going on led by sam Raimi in the most over the top chewing the scenery fucking performance ever I love it it's great seeing sam do sam Raimi do this because his movies you watch his movies you're like yeah i can see that i can really see that kind of energy in his movies in his performance so love that he's ridiculous in it but the whole gang is full of kind of familiar faces like ted ramey his brother is in there scott spiegel's in there some other faces are in there so essentially what happens is the manson family group um they end up targeting this whole area they kill poor striker's dog they kidnap his girlfriend and they basically made a war striker's war but regardless um it's just, a, a, it's kind of a, a a goofy movie at times, like during a fight scene with some bikers, the fight choreograph stuff is good on one end, like you can tell like some of the Marines, like the dude doing the karate is real good, he's doing like roundhouse kicks and shit, and then some of the other bikers are just like, uh, 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 and you're like what the fuck is going on? they so slow. And, and listen to the commentary Josh Becker was like, those guys is just like, they're really slow and like every time they did something they were like out of breath and like about to have a heart attack. And they were big boys. So, you know, they're, they're not professional fucking athletes or anything. You can't expect everything out of there. But, uh, you know, some of the bikers that made that scene look a little ugh. And, and the beginning acting, I'm going to be honest, I was like, oh man, I do, I've seen this before. I was like, I do not remember the acting being this poor. But after like the first 15 or 20 minutes, I don't know if, I got used to it or I think there was an adjust and all the actors got much better or or maybe it's just the Vietnam stuff wasn't as well done but regardless the acting got much better and it just I I was sucked into the world and uh, it's basically most of the movie is them you know, fighting the hippies in the woods. So there's tons of gore gags. There's really fun moments where, you know, somebody will fall into something and they'll turn around to there'll be spikes sticking out of their backs. They just, as many inventive and innovative ways to kill people as they can on a budget. So uh, they do lots of crazy things. I'm surprised no one dies on their movies, to be honest. You know, you hear stories about, you know, people getting hurt really bad on uh, some of their movies. Like, uh, well, I remember Bruce Campbell talking about his brother, I think, break it, falling off a cliff or something he's like is he dead no he's like he he broke his arm or just stuff like that so you know these guys are dangerous filmmakers and uh but it shows you know their camera angles are fun they try to do inventive things and i think that this stuff played through for J.R. bookwalter as well i think that was probably one of his main inspirations and a lot of other filmmakers too i just feel like yeah these guys this whole group of guys their movies are alive you know Scott Spiegel stuff too, like Intruder and you know From Dust Till Dawn too. They're alive, even if not everything works. I'd rather see some crazy attempts. Man, it's an independent movie. You do what you want. You got to make it interesting in another way, and they always do it. They suck you in. They make an exploitation movie, but they make it fun in a lot of ways. You know this movie's made in '85 and it's supposed to take place even before that. So there's some dated things in here. You know some of the Marines pick up some younger chicks, and you're like ooh. And uh, you you know some of the humor is probably outdated, but you know. A couple of the Marines I actually really liked, like the guy they call like Love Machine, is a big guy with a mustache. He's fun, always cracking jokes. Uh, when I'm hungry, let's get something to eat. And then the big guy is is like a, he was a Mr. T impersonator, so he's huge. He's fun too, and, and they do sort of form a bond. the The group of Vietnam vets, and all in all, it's an enjoyable movie. If you like that kind of low budget filmmaking, backyard stuff at its finest, then you know these guys I think are like one of the you know trendsetters for the independent film uh, horror film or exploitation film you know you have like George Romero with Night of the Living Dead and you have of course Sam Raimi with Evil Dead and there's these different times and different approaches to the things but you know it's just that like love that kind of Midwest you know I'm from Ohio so I see those guys somewhat in my area making stuff like this you know I, I can't help but love it so you know it's just uh, it's just my thing um, on the disc there is a commentary there's two commentaries one narrated by Michael Sure again talking to the lead actor uh, the guy who plays striker and he was not sure about playing this role he doesn't seem like you know he, he seems like a nice guy and down to earth and everything like that but he wasn't too sure if he was going to be very good at this role and you can see that sometimes but i think all in all he comes across okay um and then on top of that there's an old commentary um with uh, Bruce Campbell and Josh Becker, which I really like. There's some funny stories on here. Um, And, you know, Bruce Campbell, you can listen to talk all day. And these guys are buddies, so they're back and forth pretty fun. And uh, they make some jokes and whatnot. Um, But there's also, I think, like a vintage making of, which uh, Becker tells a great story about how the movie got the title, Thou Shall Not Kill, and all sorts of things like that. Regardless, uh, interviews with all the people, a lot, tons of the people. Pretty much the whole cast is involved with uh, the special features and everything like that. And, like, uh, I love like I love a lot of these guys pop, when they pop up in other things like uh, God bless Scott Spiegel for stuff like Skinned Alive uh, acting in that one so um, yeah I, I like these kind of movies and I think that anybody that appreciates low budget filmmaking will dig this one too and uh, again another mention for Sam Raimi's over the top performance being amazing I love it <laughs> I love seeing him doing it it's really fun
1: in the beginning God created light then God created man and he gave him 10 Commandments. Amongst them thou shalt not kill. (laughs) But evil forces arose ignoring God's Commandments and wreaked havoc on the world. You like
3: this? It's fun.
4: go
1: cleanable there are times when the laws of god and man must be put aside thou shalt not kill except nobody moves i said no <laughs> No, you're not. You're dead.
0: Okay, the next one here is from Scorpion Releasing, and this is Too Scared to Scream. Uh, yeah. This one is directed by Tony, uh, is it Lo Bianco, who starred in God Told Me To. He was kind of an actor, uh, more an actor than a director from my understanding. I recognized him when I saw him in an interview, and I said, oh, jeez, yeah. Yeah, I knew who he was. But this one here... um This is really, it feels like a carryover from the 70s. I was shocked this was 85. I was watching this, I was like, man, this feels like a 1970s TV police procedural with slight slasher elements and an element of sleaze to give it the R rating. Um, It's definitely a psycho kind of story, a psycho kind of take. It stars um, Ian McShane, who's pretty much the biggest actor in here for me. (laughs) And he works at a hotel that's kind of like the Night Watchman, and these murders start to take place in this hotel. There's a bunch of suspects. A cop gets involved and his partner, and they start to look into it and try to figure out who, who's doing it. They put a stake out at the hotel, and people are picked off here and there. Uh, it, it feels real police procedural, like I said. At times, it, it feels a little slow. The acting's solid for the most part, no real complaints, and when the kills are there, they are, you know, decently done. They're not poorly done. They're They're solid. They're not horrible you <laughs> Um, and there, there's some other elements in here, too, that I liked. Um, mostly the psychological stuff with Ian McShane and his history and that mystery there. And they, it comes to a point where you can determine who the killer is going to be. Um, and you're like, it better not do that. It's just too obvious and too silly. And then you're like, well, it can't be that. And you start to like start to pinpoint things together. And they do end it on a, in a way that kind of makes sense. So I was happy with that. But like I said, you know, it's an interesting point to watch the psychology of the characters because, you know, after Psycho, everything was like a Psycho riff where it's like you know the weird mommy complex and things like that and there's a great performance by the woman who plays Ian McShane's mother she's just in a wheelchair completely silent and she's always like looking real shady and weird but uh you know high rise whore it's decent it's solid um there's definitely some you know turmoil between uh the uh, partners who are kind of dating at the same time um on here is an interview with tony uh lo bianco and uh one of the actors who's in a bunch of stuff as well african-american guy i can't think of his name but he he pops up in a couple of movies i've seen he looked very familiar um they're short interviews but they're informative enough and uh the disc it looks pretty solid like i said though it feels like a 70s movie it does not feel like an 80s movie at all and like i said i wonder if this would shelved for some reason or wasn't completed until 85 but i feel like that does happen quite a bit but it's not a bad movie like i said pretty standard stuff pretty decent stuff all at the same time and if you pop this on in tv you'd be fine with it
1: other women cloy the appetites they feed but she makes hungry where most she satisfies age cannot wither her nor custom stale her infinite variety How beautiful you were, was Cleopatra. Close, close your eyes, Mother. Hmm?
2: Happy birthday, Mother.
1: Happy birthday to you. There's no you need to thank me. Hmm? The fun is in the doing. Aren't you going to blow your candles out? Or at least make a wish. Hmm? <sighs> now your wish will come true. No, no. don't, don't, <laughs> tell me, hmm? don't tell me. Don't tell me. I was only joking. Looks good. Doesn't it look delicious? Shall we?
4: Shall we cut it? And have a piece. Hmm? And here's for you. Mm-hmm.
1: And here's for me. <laughs> oh. Oh. Mm. Delicious. Is there any, any little toast you'd like to propose, Mother? Hmm? Let me, let me, something apropos, hmm? No? Oh, well. Excellent, Bordeaux, excellent indeed. Hmm? (laughs) Hmm? Unexpected guest, eh?
0: Okay, this next one I'm going to be pretty brief with. Um, It's for Vinegar Syndrome, and this is Whorehouse on Highway 5. Um, Yeah. Uh, this is by Richard Casey is the director's name I believe yep Richard Casey uh, apparently this stars Ronald Reagan uh, which is a joke but okay Whorehouse on Highway 5 I had not seen this until recently obviously but um, I did see the sequel for some reason Whorehouse on Highway 6 which came out in 2014 and uh, I did not like that movie at all and I just I I but it had this weird conceptual thing about I don't remember what they call it but it, there's a kitten in the box kind of deal and if you open it if you leave it closed there's two outcomes that one's the kitten's dead and one's alive and to see those outcomes unfold, if you never open it, you don't, You know what I mean? So it did that whole thing, which is completely insane for a horror movie conceptually. Um, and Horror House on Highway 5, listening to the, the commentary and everything like that, it was a movie that was made on a budget, and and there's it's one of two things when you watch it, you'll think, man, they made this over a weekend or they made this over a long period of time and strung it together as best as they could. And it's the latter. It, it's not the lack of hard work that's here. It's not that. It just was, you know, budget constraint and they kept trying to, you know, have to get actors disappearing and reappearing and finishing the movie. But essentially what we have here is a pair of, um, you know, weirdo brothers uh, on this highway. They're they're nuts and they kidnap girls and and whatnot. And there's a killer running around in a Richard Nixon mask, hacking and slashing people, credited as Ronald Reagan. You get it? (laughs) But you get it. Uh, essentially uh, I you know a group of kids goes out there to kind of study this Nazi scientist who is making rockets and uh, make their own rockets and whatnot they do they get stranded out there they run into the crazy kids the crazy brothers and some are abducted some people are killed in the beginning there is a there's a decent amount of nudity and that's pretty much the highlight of the movie is the murders in the beginning and the nudity after that some of the other murders are a little lackluster the acting is definitely very lackluster but it's not something something that is, is necessarily done on just bad acting it, it's kind of like the performances in general everybody's going for this comedic element or this over the top weird element and what the director and, and filmmakers tried to do was you know we can't really deliver on a on a, a you know a super competent movie because of the budget so we're going to deliver on something super weird it's much better to do that than to deliver on something super bad on purpose but being super weird on purpose can also and i come across is um, just not really uh genuine to me so there's a lot of weird jokes and comedic um acting performances that just don't land for me they're just not funny for me and uh, there's a lot of just standing around talking moments like uh that don't 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 do it for me and it's objective you know comedy is super everything is objective when it comes to movies i guess but comedy is super objective and you know or uh, subjective, geez, completely subjective. Everything's subjective, sorry. But, you know, it's subjective. Like, I, I, I just don't find things funny that a lot of people might. So saying that, this is a chore to get through. Um, I just did not care for it. Uh, it's a low-budget movie, so Vinegar Syndrome cleaned it up as much as possible. And there's an interview with the director, and he seems to be, you know, a well-studied guy. He's not unintelligent, and he he makes references to things that are so much more, you know, well-done than his own picture, as you know, most people would. Uh, uh, you know, filmmakers, you know, they don't look, you know, you don't look to be Ed Wood. You look to be George Romero, and you fall and make you end up. You look to be, you know. Um, somebody like uh, Orson Welles and you end up Ed Wood. If you end up, if you try to be Ed Wood, you'll end up garbage, even (laughs) real garbage. But, um, so, you know, he makes references to other things. And he, he doesn't seem like he's the biggest horror fan either, you know. Like, he makes a comment about his, uh, somebody, one of his friends' kids watching a movie, says that's the worst movie ever. And he says, you know, well, that's just kind of the genre. And I disagree with that sentiment, you know. Uh, but I don't want us to be too negative on the movie in general. It's just not for me at all. I don't find the humor lands. It doesn't have as much, you know, of the uh, exploitation elements that would keep me interested, you know, my perviness or my uh, insanity to, you know, nudity. Or gore, or something like that, or just weird perversity to keep me, you know, tied to it. But the idea of Richard Nixon running around killing people might, you know, tickle some people's fancy. So that's whorehouse on Highway Five. <laughs> Okay, the next one here is from 1985 as well. And this is A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. All right, I haven't seen this one in years. And I'm going to be honest, I watched it, you know, a lot of The Nightmare on Elm Street's a bunch of times as a kid. And I'd always come back to more 1, 3, and 4. Those are the ones I watched a lot. And when I thought back, you know, 5, 6 years ago, I'd be like, which are the best ones? 1, 3, 4, 7, you know, those always came up to me. And I don't hate 6. I always hated 5. I always had problems with part five. I always thought it was a snooze fest and could barely get through it. Dream child. And I always thought part two was my second least favorite movie. I was always like, ah, that one's got, not that great either. And it always had the reputation. Oh, it's just the gay Freddy. That's gay Freddy with the you know, gay subtext and everything like that. And I didn't pick that up as a kid. You know, I just liked the movie. And then as I got older, I felt like I didn't like it as much and rewatching it this time, man, I completely went almost 180 on it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, I've always been a Nightmare on Elm Street um, fan. That used to be my favorite series, but I understand now there's just a lot of shaky you know, uh, films in the series. So, you know, it's hard to pick your favorite series when there's so many bad uh, films in all the series, to be honest. But, uh, man, uh, Freddy Krueger as an uh, uh, antagonist is spectacular. Robert Englund's great at it. Um, so this one uh, opens up with the infamous uh, bus scene where it's a nightmare and uh, Mark Patton, who plays the lead in this one, is looking really disheveled and creepy, and uh, that opening with the bus driver and driving in the middle of the desert and the miniatures and how they do that has always been really imaginative and terrifying to me, and I absolutely love it. The score in here also really helps. It's Christopher Young, who did Hellraiser and uh, The Power, which is not a great movie, but a great score, Um, and I love his score in here. His scores are terrifying, and it fits something with Freddy Krueger very well. It makes Freddy terrifying. So Jesse and his family had moved into, that's Mark Pants' characters, had moved into into the house um, where, um, you know, across Freddy Krueger, you know uh, where Nancy lived, and they find Nancy's diary, and he starts to read it. <laughs> um, Jesse starts to have nightmares and everything like that. He starts to see, you know, a mysterious figure in the basement, looking like he's working on the boiler room. So I thought that was a great element, and you know, he starts to kind of be possessed by Freddy Krueger, his body taken over. It's body horror, And it's also, you know, a big, you know, metaphor for homosexuality because in real life, Mark Patton was gay. So, you know, that's just kind of, it, it's strange that this whole movie is that. And, and and it's like somebody, people are saying, no, that's not what the intent was. It's like, what are you talking about? In this film, we have, um... The gym teacher, who's played by Marshall Bell, and he's a sadist, and he frequents uh, leather, uh, homosexual leather clubs, and he gets off on making the kids do a bunch of extra, you know, labor and everything like that. His buddy, who uh, who becomes Grady, who's like his his best friend, which there's definitely some sexual tension between them. Who's also in Weird Science this same year. Um, it's just like so much of the thing, and the victims who end up being killed, um, you start to think he's transforming into Freddy Krueger, and he's killing these people the gym teacher who's like uh, gay and then his friend who he possibly has um, uh, some kind of a homosexual crush on he ends up dead it's just like it's it's very evident that it's there. Um, but Robert Englund's great in it. He's scary in it. The makeup looks good in it. And it goes by very quickly. Not to mention that Clue Gulliger, as the father, never hurts. And he's very funny in this one. He did Return of the Living Dead. Pretty much came out this same year as well. But uh, love love him in this. The parents are both really good. But I just really dig this one. I think that it has an element of terror. People are like, well, they broke the rules of the first one. And like I said, it's the science of Freddy Krueger. Every movie's freaking different rules. How do you explain any of this shit? none of it makes any sense in the first place what rules because uh, i don't know the rules in the first one with that ending like what the hell's going on there i mean it can be debated all the time so to to say there's a set of rules like strict rules in the nightmare on elm street part one is like whatever freddy gets you in the dreams this one he's taking over somebody else and getting out of the dreams i can't understand that there's a, there's something there that could bother somebody i don't really give a shit okay so long as it's an entertaining movie and I think Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two is entertaining. Like I said, it's genuinely creepy at moments. The special effects are good. That opening is badass. You got the great Christopher Young score. Um, and, and you know, what? at first, it, it's a it, Mark Patton is a strange character to have as your lead because he's definitely like tortured in the movie. And uh, you know, he has like a relationship with the girl and everything. And it gets, and, and you know, he seems like he's giving a, a, a tortured performance. And it's strange that Friday Thirteenth Part Five came out the same year, and the character replaced Tommy Jarvis is also giving a tortured performance. We got both of those kind of characters who feel like they're almost tortured in real life, too, as they are in the film. And, and you know it's just performances, but still... Uh, I, I do think it's a unique performance. Clue uh, Gulliger, you know, doing the typical Clue Gulliger, I love it. Hey, buddy boy, I'll see you on Sunday. You know, <laughs> I just love him. So, uh, but the house is super hot. Uh, it's just like all these cool elements and the ending's batshit. Freddy does some crazy things and there's some chaotic moments and uh, it gets real weird with like a mutant rat and cat and dogs and I don't know what the hell's going on with that. So it's not a perfect movie, but it is, you know, one of the better of the franchise to be honest. Like I, like I said, I didn't always love love this one like i liked it and then i've had mixed feelings about it and coming back to rewatching it been so long that it's actually really good and I'm, I'm surprised that it's such you know serious and creepy as it is um although there are some ridiculous things but i think almost all the nightmare on Elf street things uh, movies have ridiculous moments but uh yeah good stuff um And I enjoy it. I would recommend checking this one out if you haven't seen it in a long time. On the disc, there's like an interview with Jack Shoulder and I think there's one with Mark Patton as well and they talk a little bit about everything. Very short uh, interviews. There's only like, they're like five minutes a piece. There's like three different little featurettes on there. So yeah.
4: Someone is coming back to Elm Street.
1: He is not friendly. He is not patient. Of me. And he is not a welcome visitor. No! 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 But he has something terribly special for the new kid on the block.
4: It started to happen again. Dad!
1: you in trouble. You've had some scary dreams, okay? How? Daddy can't
2: help you now. There's something inside
4: him. <laughs> Afraid
1: of him, he doesn't even exist! Ah! Freddy Krueger is back on Elm Street. Get out of here, Lisa! fight him! Watch out for him. He'll ah! be in your neighborhood soon. Ah! A Nightmare on Elm Street, Part 2. you are all my children now. Freddy's Revenge. <laughs>
0: Okay, this one's also going to be rather quick. This is Godzilla 1984, Return of Godzilla. I watched this one instead of Godzilla 1985, which is the same movie, recut American style, because uh, the 1985 version is not available. That's the one I used to watch as a kid. I understand the Japanese version is different. It's 20 minutes difference, but sue me, okay? It doesn't have any of the American stuff in there. It's edited differently and whatnot. But uh, Godzilla 1984, I I think it, is it a direct sequel to the original or is it uh, one, there hadn't been a Godzilla movie made for um, nine years or something like that and they decided to kind of revive Godzilla. This one's fairly serious. It opens up with a sub. Uh, this reporter kind of jumping on it is a sub or like a commercial fishing boat is what it is actually not a sub. But uh, this uh, reporter jumps on there. Everybody's dead on board. It's a giant uh, sea louse that attacks him. He finds a survivor. They help each other. They keep it on the wraps because they realize that Godzilla has returned due to a volcanic uh, you know activity and uh, they're terrified. So they want to keep it under wraps. But uh, eventually they can't because Godzilla starts to kind of you know come out and everything like that. And he wants you know he feeds on radiation. The No, there's going to be a problem and uh, a lot of this movie is the typical talking Godzilla films where they're like what are we going to do and there's definitely some Japan like kind of self-love in here where they argue with the Americans and the Russians about using nuclear warheads which is a very touchy subject when it comes to Godzilla movies and uh, Japanese cinema in general and probably world politics in general talking about using nuclear uh, stuff and that's kind of a big deal and maybe uh, you know environmental issue and also you know a morality issue that's put in the Godzilla films especially you know this original one and this one so they argue a lot about that uh the miniatures that are used when Godzilla attacks are pretty cool they use some also I think it's be rear projection front projection I don't know which one's which but you know two different and putting their Godzilla's in the background Godzilla looks all right I wish Godzilla used his tail more in this one and hit things and whatnot <laughs> he does get to use his atomic blast here and there but, uh, you know, I'm so used to see Godzilla fight something else. that So when Godzilla's just up against, you know, the American, you know, army, not, not American, my Japanese army, and like some weird kind of like machines they build, it just doesn't have the oomph I really want. I know the original didn't have it either, but I kind of do want to see, I'm so used to, I've been spoiled by Godzilla just fighting something, that I want to see Godzilla whoop something. But Godzilla is not necessarily portrayed 100% as a villain. He is sympathetic at moments. Um, and there's some cool, you know, uh, buildings being torn down and people climbing down them and whatnot, and and politics and everything like that in here. Uh, But I wish, you know, it's an hour and 43 minutes or something like that. I wish that uh, you know there's a little bit more Godzilla and a little less of the talking. I would really like to really watch the American version, which I think is only like an hour and 25 minutes or hour and 20 minutes. I think that's the one I'd be more used to, and I'm just curious how that one flows. But the opening's really cool with the giant sea louse and uh, some other stuff like that. And uh, I, I do think that do they do some of the stuff fairly well. Godzilla looks all right in it. Um, it's an all right Godzilla effort, and it's been years since I watched it, but I enjoyed revisiting it. Okay, the next one we have here is by Roberta Finley, and it had been a long time since I watched this. It is Tenement. It's a place to live. Tenement, who the fuck wrote this shit? It's like, every time I heard this movie brought up, the song in the movie came to my head, and I just made up my own lyrics because I can't remember the real lyrics. But Tenement actually has its own rap song in the movie. Uh, Tenement is kind of like a Siege movie. Uh, reminds me, of, what is that one? Um, is it the Siege? or I think it's something else. Or Enemy Territory or something like that. But it had been a long time since I watched this one. It's a Shriek Show release. They put out the DVD years back too. But essentially, what we have here is a really low house, a little really like kind of dirt cheap, like apartment complex with uh, a bunch of people struggling to survive. A gang lives in the basement of who is it? About uh, seven or eight, seven, seven gang members, uh, a mixed group of gang members, mixed, uh, just kind of weird, you know, mixed race group of gang members. And most notably, who's in the gang is Paul Calderon from Pulp Fiction, Bad Lieutenant King of New York, and um, Cigar Face from Toxic Avengers. So, those are the two most notable faces in here. Um, essentially, what happens is somebody one day calls the police on the gang, this drunk guy named Rojas. Who's kind of an asshole, and uh, the gang gets taken away by police. And in typical, you know, uh, prison uh, fashion, they're out the same day, and they're actually attacking the members of the uh, apartment complex same day. They decide to shoot up a bunch of, do a bunch of drugs, get all crazy, and go on a kill crazy rampage and take over the apartment complex. And it's up to the apartment complex to kind of fight back and survive. Um, the movie is an exploitation movie through and through. Um, there is some attempts at, you know, maybe some unity among the group of people if they're put into this conflict they will kind of unite but um really i think its main aim is to sell seats and be exploitative as hell and it's that the lead baddie um is the biggest knock on the movie he is absolutely garbage he's a i mean some of the acting's shaky here and there but the lead baddie of the gang is terrible especially when uh, paul calderan is like right behind him and you're like this guy's so much better and even cigar face is a is a better mead villain lead villain any one of them but him. He delivers his lines. I, I think he was Colombian or something like that. So he's like, hey, guys, he just sucks. He's fucking terrible. He's embarrassingly bad to me. And, uh, you know, I guess, you know, the director liked him, Roberta Finley. You know, she directed a bunch of horror movies and some porn before the Stalt movies. And, you know, she she uh, was an exploitation filmmaker. You know, she doesn't love the genre, as she stated on some of these movies, uh, commentaries. But, you know, she, she thought that he was an interesting lead. So uh, basically, like I said, it's people just picking him off here and there. It gets a little repetitive. At times, but there's some real nasty, mean spirited shit in here, which kind of is like, ugh. And at times, it comes across really dumb to me. And so the exploitative elements um, are just like, 'Cause it's so mean-spirited at the at the same time as being exploitative that I just can can't I either get annoyed or roll my eyes. But all in all, I do think it's entertaining in spots. Like um the bad guys getting picked off here and there. A lot of the characters you don't really give a shit about if they're killed or not. A lot of their dialogue is a little is a little funny. The acting's not the greatest in the movie. But uh, the blood doesn't look right. But there's this one moment where they basically bad guy has blood all over his hands, and he rips open his girlfriend's shirt, and he puts his hands all over rubber hands on the boobs, and you're just like, "Come on, man, you're just." And the same thing happens in "Thou Shalt Not Kill," except but there's a shirt on. But uh, you're just like, that's so exploitative, and that pretty much showed me everything I I knew of what this movie was. But uh, you know, like I said. It's grungy looking, too. It's gritty, and I appreciate that it's made in New York by an actual person that lived in New York, so I do think there's some accuracy there, to be honest. Um, it, it's done on a, a very low budget. There's a commentary by Roberto Finley, and she's very funny. She does not give a fuck. She does not care. She says whatever the hell she wants. She tells the stories about her assistant cameraman pissing himself and her drinking a lot of Jack Daniels because they got it and it was their favorite drink, and the lead actor in here not being a team player and not really caring about it. Any of this stuff, and some of the actors being embarrassed by the movie when it was out. So she doesn't hold back, you know, and uh, it's a nice commentary. The movie looks cheap, it looks gritty, and it's exactly what you expect it to be. Uh, tenement, a game of survival.
1: The tenement was their home, their fortress a place of refuge from the savage streets. Now, it's become a battlefield of rage. What would you like else, huh? Madness and death.
4: All of you are going to die! If
1: they
2: want the building, let's give it to them.
1: The enemy is unfeeling and unstoppable. This is some sick revenge thing, man. They want to kill us. Do you understand that? They want to kill us. Stay here. Stay here. Be quiet. Go on the
3: bed. I want
4: you to go on the bed. And I want you to stay there. Go.
1: There's nowhere to turn. We are going to have some fun. Mm. to hide and no way out. <laughs> they've taken enough and they're fighting back. Fighting back with a vengeance.
0: Okay, the next one here is also by Roberto Finley from 1985 and this is The Oracle. I'll be pretty quick on this one. This is a freak scre- uh, sh- Show released and uh, this is a typical kind of supernatural horror story. Uh, a woman, uh, she gets this weird kind of Ouija board type deal with a hand on it and the Ouija board starts to talk to her and you realize it's a, it's a dead person who wants revenge on some other people that were murdered. No one believes her. Everybody thinks she's gone crazy. Her husband doesn't believe her who's a big asshole but she starts to get closer to the killers and realizes who they are, and the killers start to come after that after her and try to kill her. But no one believes her, of course. And weird supernatural elements start to happen. People that touch this board are affected by it, and crazy shit starts to happen. Um, the most interesting element of this movie is one of the lead bad guys. Um, it's played by this kind of this really heavy uh, woman who is a lesbian, but she's always dressed as a man and kind of mistaken as a man in the movie. But uh, they do something weird with her voice where she has like a deeper voice because they edited it. I actually. Like this character, she's kind of interesting. And there's this weird sidebar with her side story where she like picks up prostitutes and straight does Frank Zito's ism from Maniac, which is really weird and sleazy and almost doesn't feel in place. Uh, there's a really kind of comical party scene with the maid and this other heavyset guy who was dating her at the time in real life um, where he's just a drunk guy falling around. But uh, there's, there's some cool elements. Um, at, at times, there's a weird kind of hallucination with bugs that's like little creepy crawlies I kind of liked and um, there's a really cool moment with uh, a flying skull, which is also cool, but all in all, it's just kind of a um, subpar uh, revenge kind of supernatural story in here. It's definitely made on a budget, and the highlight is Roberto Finley's uh, commentary where she mentions that she doesn't like any horror movies, George Romero included, so it's not really her scene, and you know, sometimes uh, when people make, uh, don't like horror movies, you get uh you know something more Stanley Kubrick you get a great movie and sometimes you get something like The Oracle which you know is is kind of a cash in that did fairly well at the time and it's 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 decent it, it's you know competent but it's n- nothing really special for me it's right down the middle uh like i said there's some cool things about it but uh it never really you know does very much different um to win me over i know it was made on a budget and again it was made in new york so i like seeing that but uh The Oracle it's it's just okay so
1: Jennifer's new apartment was vacant, but it wasn't empty. An ancient device of unspeakable power awaits her.
3: She's Malatesta. She talked with dead people,
1: with ghosts. And one day, she just disappeared. You move into her apartment. Jennifer was desired and then seduced. Now the horror begins, and no one can stop it. She doesn't know the danger it will foretell or the evil it will unleash. Jennifer, are you all right? I don't know.
3: The Oracle.
1: The horror has begun.
3: What the hell are you doing in there? Jenny! Are these spirits like dead people? They're not like dead people. They are
1: dead people. Or demons. The evil has started. Pursue Jennifer. It started on Christmas Eve, the night that I got the. the answers to a nightmare of the soul. Jennifer has become the instrument of evil. Rated R Coming soon To a theater near you
0: Okay The next one We got here Is also from 1985 And this is Screenplay From Troma Yeah, this is also on Amazon Prime if you want to check it out. It says it's in HD, but it is not in HD. And this is a super bizarre movie. I don't even know how to tell this story here, but it takes place in what, like, you know, the, what would it be, 50s or something like that? Maybe 50s, 60s, somewhere around there. And uh, in Hollywood, maybe it's even modern times, but they make a lot of references to old Hollywood and it feels like old Hollywood. So we'll go with that. It's black and white. A lot of it's done in a front projection kind of style where a lot of the stuff in the background is not there. And they just did this all in Boston and made it look like Hollywood. We have this kind of uh, crazy screenwriter. He's the director as well, plays the lead in here. And he comes to Hollywood, you know, and he, he looks just like the guy from Dr. Caligari. And he basically wants to make, um, you know, write pictures and make it big in Hollywood. And he's super weird. He ends up getting a job Well, he witnesses a crazy murder and he might be involved. So he has to run and with this crazy uh, la- uh, hotel owner or apartment owner. Um, landlord I guess I'll say and this guy offers him a job he won't tell him about the police thing and he just cleans and he can sleep here and he gets like two dollars of ten dollars a month or something like that that's the deal so he decides to stay there and write his script in the beginning right in the, in the diner he met somebody who is like an agent. So there's all these people trying to paw at him that are just awful stereotypes, maybe, uh, that um, this director basically kind of met in Hollywood or had been around and whatnot or just heard about because this is kind of a big story about how hard it is to make it in the Hollywood business and how bullshit everything is. You know, there's definitely an unhappy picture. I like the performance of the lead guy. He's unhinged and he's weird and when he's upset, he goes down and writes a script and he basically writes a murder scene that you see. Um, it is in black and white too, so that adds an element to it. Um, and there's some really really punny, very funny lines in here, especially the end. I won't spoil it. Um, Just involving Hollywood. And I love that. Um, Really, really fun. But he meets a bunch of eccentric weirdo characters, uh, including the uh, landlord, an asshole who wants to be his publicist, uh, an actress who was willing to go anywhere to be that actress, an ex-musician kind of hippie guy who lives upstairs, who is always calling for the apocalypse in religious terms, but gives a weirdo performance as well. So there's lots of crazy stuff Going on, of course. There's a pair of cops who are after him because there starts to be murders, even after the one on the roller skates. And these guys are straight. Kind of one of them feels like he's like a, a, a half assed Humphrey Bogart film noir kind of deal, uh, gumshoe kind of after him. And the other guy's just big, tall, doofus who's always firing his gun for no reason. in Very funny moments. So uh, yeah, it's got like all these character types in this weird kind of Hollywood world. Um, the acting, I think, is fine. I think the story is really funny. I think it's very clever and punny and. One of a kind and enjoyable. The commentary on here, the director talks about a lot of things about not making any money from *Trauma*, of course, and uh, how he had an offer from New Line but turned it down. And after that, he got a bad review, and that was the end of it. And he does seem bitter, but he has a reason to be. All this stupid shit that happened to him. And you know, this movie, I guess, it's right about Hollywood to a certain extent, but it's an enjoyable movie. Unfortunately, it's his only film. It stars Georgia uh, Klu- Kugler or whatever. He was like, a, um, made, made some like weird kind of uh, independent cinema. He's got a great performance in here he actually used the landlord george kugler i can't say his name it's, it's a tongue twister for me but um i like the movie i think it's enjoyable i think it's weird i think it's quirky as hell and uh the lighting and stuff is cool how they do it i'd like to see a blu-ray of this cleaned up i think it would be pretty unique of a movie but i i enjoy it i think it's cool it is a uh, screenplay very very funny kind of title even you know good stuff um and uh funny characters i i forgot to mention the old b movie actress who wants to sleep with everyone too so with their with their dog yeah I like it.
4: Dear Mr. Weaver, just a quick note to tell you that the killer is approaching me
0: from behind, and by the time you read this, I may very well be dead. It's all because of my screenplay. I'll try to explain as
4: quickly as possible. It all started a short time ago, when I first arrived here, in Hollywood.
0: Another one here is a 1985 uh, war classic uh, or super depressing classic, I'll say. And this is Come and See. Uh, yeah, this is a Russian film. And I feel like Russian cinema is probably the hardest to approach, um, it's just so different. Um, to anything I've seen, um, when it's like Khrushchev, get my car, or even stuff like nails and visions of suffering, philosophy of a knife, all sorts of stuff like that. Like I've always had a Rasputin movie. I, I think maybe even that director did this one. Um, so like it's not bad. It's just so different and so unique. And come and see. You know, it's a war film based on a true story about the Nazi invasion, uh, destroying all these Belorussian or Russian, uh, you know, 600 villages or whatnot, and and, and what. That's the story. So it's, it's automatically disturbing just on subject matter alone. Nazis are fucking scum. They are horrible. And, you know, and what they did in World War II is probably one of the most disgusting things of all is the most disgusting thing of all time. One of them, hands down. So uh, the story follows a, a young man, a young boy really, who it's a two hour and 12 minute kind of crazy movie. Most of it, you know, steady cam or single shots. And it just feels chaotic and personal and kind of like the Revenant where we'll just be on camera at points and it will follow somebody and then it will zone off and go somewhere else and come back to that person. So you can feel like kind of the world and the, the everything around it. But he lives in a small village and he plans on going off to war and, you know, helping the resistance against them with a group of soldiers who are hiding out in the woods. He meets a girl that they kind of have a thing, you know, you know, a, a moment. And then, uh, he gets drugged through hell. Basically. Um, the title come and see is, you know, a, a, you know, it's a mention to the Bible come and see, and I saw a pale horse, and a man said, up. I was death, you know, revelations kind of deal, is my understanding, uh, you know, help it. if you guys ever heard the man comes around, the Johnny Cash song uses it wonderfully, um, or even tombstone, uh, behold the pale horse, but, you know, come and see, and I saw, so the, the title alone is, you know, is basically, maybe it's even talking to the audience, come and see, come and see this, you know, and, and, and you know, this character, he, you know, he dug, digs a, gr- a gun out of the ground in the beginning, and a plane flies over, So in a way, maybe he thinks it's his fault. Maybe it is his fault seeing that gun and the Nazis thinking, well, you know, and that plane he constantly sees throughout the entire time. So everything horrible he's associating with that plane that he saw in the beginning. So it's really messed up and and really kind of sad. So he ends up going with this resistance and being uh, left behind. And then there's a huge bomb attack, which is super adrenaline pumping where it's just boom, 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 all these bombs. And you're just like, Oh my God, I can't believe it's that loud. And, and just like, It gets really insane after that without spoiling too much, but he witnesses so many horrible things and the camera work is so amazing and just so heartfelt that you know like it's just the burning down of villages all in one take and cu- and following people and all these characters running around and tons of extras and all these things happening and I just can't believe the work they did like there's a great scene where they're marching and instead of following the march they start following the march to the woods and it cuts to the woods and it comes on another side of the path and I was just like I don't know why I'm a sucker for shit like that but I really am like that just bumps it up I'm like that is awesome that is amazing that is just crazy to choreograph, especially when it involves stunts and tons of actors and dangerous things, but it's just a grueling experience. And there, there's moments of uh, where the characters will stop and laugh too, making jokes. Um, just, man, I don't try to make light of a situation because it's so fucking awful. It's so bad. It feels miserable and uh, it feels real. Like I felt like I was there where the camera is. Like sometimes, a character will be talking to another character, and the camera will be that character. Or sometimes it'll like I said, you'll be like the camera will be running with the people, and you're behind them, and you feel like you're running from the war, you're running from the horrible things. And at one point, um, they're running, and the girl looks back and sees something appalling, and the boy never does. He never sees it, but you, but you feel like maybe he did out of the corner of his eye, and he doesn't want to look back. He doesn't want to accept what's happened. But uh, yeah, it's just like man, it just made me hate not. And, and and something later when there's a group of people that are kind of cornered and um, the differences in how they respond to the situation. Some willing to suck up to it and own it and, and die, double down on it. Yeah, yeah, we did what we did. Some try to lie and say they didn't. And some try to blame it on other people and it's just the differences and and the differences of how people carry themselves after they're exposed or, or in the face of death, um, just really sad and really well made. And just just the boy's face from the beginning of the movie to the end is just shows the, the horror of war on his face and what it's done. And, uh, Oh God, horrible, horrible stuff, but just an amazing film experience at the same time. Great, great movie. Uh, very powerful, very emotional. Um, very amazing. Um, Come and see. Uh, And I just did. I I watched this on the Criterion channel and I felt like the audio was off so I watched my DVD from Kino, which is out of print. But hold off because I believe Criterion is going to put out a Blu-ray. Or there's going to be a remastering of it this month, actually February. So hopefully we'll see that on the Criterion channel and hopefully we'll get a hard disc later on. But a very powerful film. Uh, One of the most powerful war films I've ever seen. I put it with something, you know, I I think it has better film making aspects than something like Black Sun, The Naking Massacre. But um, I think I felt equally repulsed. Um, That one feels a little more exploitative than this one. This one feels like it's legit. But you know, it's just great stuff that is come and see. Hey guys, what's up? Here to do a few reviews for you. We got uh, Gretel and Hansel, which just came out. We just saw it in theaters. just came out uh, this week, 2020, directed by Osgood Perkins, who did a uh, couple years ago a movie called The Black Coat's Daughter, which was actually really excellent and uh, caused a huge buzz. And he also did uh, The Pretty Thing That Lives in a House, which was a Netflix exclusive, which I didn't have a chance to watch. So uh, when I heard he was going to have a movie in theaters, I was kind of excited wanted to support him. It's a 2020 movie. So uh, we went and checked it out. Uh, Gretel and Hansel, obviously it's going to be a, you know, a take on the grim uh, fairy tale story. And uh, yeah, so uh, his movies are kind of like really artistically made and definitely art horror is what I'd put it. But this one had a PG-13 rating. It was in January. So you really don't know. You guys know that January is considered dump month, whatever they say, you know what I mean? So uh, here we go. I I don't even know what to start. I guess I'll just start with some positives because the basic story of, you know, Gretel and Hansel or Hansel and Gretel, which is typically referred to as, uh, you know, everybody knows that story. And if you don't, then open a book or, you know, listen to any of your parents try to scare you or whatever. Uh, Basically, the cinematography is amazing. Mm -hmm. This movie is shot so well. Um, the choice how they move the camera when they move the camera uh, the tracking shots the way they where they put the camera when the characters are walking through the forest and stuff like that it's beautiful it has some of the best cinematography the lighting and everything's great uh, it takes place during kind of a fall time I believe so the lights the foliage uh, the foliage is perfect and uh, the atmosphere is also rich and thick and wonderful and creepy and uh, the production design is pretty much on that level as well those are the main positives I would say about the movie. And the score is actually really kind of haunting and it feels like it has a slight synth thing but it never goes there fully so it doesn't crumb across cheesy and it's a, it's a good score and a memorable one.
2: Yeah, it had almost like a like a chiptune style soundtrack to
0: it like at parts. But it had foreboding kind of thing at the same yeah. time. Like creepy and and like I said, I mean Black Coat's Daughter, I think you should watch that one. That one's fantastic. So maybe, maybe I had expectations and you didn't.
2: Yeah, I knew nothing about this movie. Um, Except
0: it's Hansel and Gretel. Except Gretel. that it was maybe
2: Hansel and Gretel. And then yeah. I was thinking maybe it was going to be related to the one with uh, Hawkeye
0: <laughs> in it. And I'm like... Jeremy Redner. And uh, I don't remember who else is in that. Peter Stormare. And, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's not Wh- someone I'm watching. But No, absolutely not.
2: <clears throat> um, I really liked the movie, actually. Um, I, I liked it for the most part. Yeah. I thought that the um, Gretel and the witch were fantastically acted the boy was a little bit shaky but uh
0: the boy felt like he the way he delivered his lines he didn't know what any of them meant but he you know what i mean like mm-hmm. he didn't yeah it's hard with little kids he he was definitely shaky and i just was like yeah didn't feel like it's not the kids from the witch acting let's just put it that way right i thought that uh uh gretel was pretty solid but who steals the show is the witch yeah Um, she plays in sleepwalkers where she has a great performance in that a really wild performance but she's tremendous in this one uh very creepy um a lot of this movie is there's more threats than just you know the witch Uh, and they're wandering through the forest they come across all sorts of things and they even do that scene, which is so typical in like, any medieval movie now, where they're going to be like, oh, we stumbled across magic mushrooms, and we're going to have some hallucinary trip. I just knew it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And it happens in stuff like *Hagazusa*, or um, e- even some people think the whole movie The Witch was just bad, uh, <laughs> like uh, cropped, and they all hallucinated. Right. But you know, it happens in a lot of these movies. They'll have this weird hallucination scene. I think that just, uh, I guess it, anybody's going to make a period piece, it appeals to them for some reason to kind of go a little crazy yeah. with it. Yeah, I thought that they're, you know, I don't know. The mushroom scene was a little
2: bit weird, I thought. Maybe the whole movie after that was a trip. I I am They're not that. doing that. I, I didn't feel that at all. There is a weird scene in the beginning. Like, were they chased by like a vampire or something? I don't or what know. Was...
0: I understand. I think this movie is supposed to take place in some sort of apocalyptic state. There's famine and pestilence, and yeah. I, I think that there actually might be some sort of, like, plague going on. Right. Because there's not many. I, I heard an interview with Hoskett Perkins uh, with Mick Gareth, and he was like, how many extras? That He was talking about the scenes. Like, how many extras do you want here? He's like, no extras. Nobody, <laughs> not what, no extras. He's like, this is a post-apocalyptic like, cesspool. We don't want extras, you know. Right. So I wanted it to be barren, and it is. And it's creepy, like the like wherever they shot this, is you can even see in the background the hills and everything. Like it's just probably the most one of the most beautiful movies I've seen in a very long time. It was a really pretty movie. Um, I
2: think the forest was great. The cottage was great. Um, I really liked the the rich guy in the beginning. I thought that he was, he was tremendous. A me- Character. He's only in it literally for like two minutes. He, he looks
0: like Robert Blake from Lost Highway. Uh, but um, yeah, and, and that's also a thing here that she kind of is a, a woman of her own uh, mm-hmm. fruition, I guess. She doesn't bend to anybody else, and that's kind of a problem. But it's also a strong person, you know, and, and it, it plays into the la- later stuff in the story. Right. Uh, the one problem with the movie is, um, really. The story is probably... How long is the actual story in the book? Probably not very long.
4: I
2: mean... I don't know. I don't know if I've ever read a book Exactly about it, is but. the problem.
0: But we know the story. And it's basically it can be told in three, three, three paragraphs. A paragraph even. Three sentences.
2: Yeah, I and mean... So
0: a movie that's an hour and a half, even though people say, well, that's short, that's refreshing, especially in last year we had so many long movies, which mm-hmm. most are good, but still it is refreshing to see something short. It still felt a lot longer than an hour and 34 minutes.
2: I think it felt longer, but I d- didn't have a problem with how the story played out. Um, uh, I thought it was a little bit predictable, <laughs> and then I think that's just because it really does kind of follow the, the fairy tale. Yeah. There are some, like, tropes of they kind of, like, subvert or whatever, but for the most part, it's, it's not trying to do anything, like, necessarily new, um... So if you know the fairy tale, you kind of know where it's going.
0: Yeah, exactly. But it, it can be kind of like you anticipate because you know exactly what's going to happen and it takes so long for it to happen. Right. But there are some nice creepy moments. I, I don't like, you know, it feels almost like there is a, a ghost element at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of eh. In fact, the 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 final act of this movie is all kind of eh, iffy to me, to be honest. And And the way they kind of switch something around just slightly and it's just like... I don't even, it's like they're like, oh, well, they know the story of Hansel and Gretel, so we're going to do something a little different, but it's not really needed, I don't think. And I I honestly wish it would have fit to the fairy tale a little bit better.
2: Yeah, I really, I think the padding in the movie actually just comes from the dream sequences. There's a lot where Gretel is, like, dreaming about what happens overnight, and a lot of them are just very long, drawn-out, like
0: she's getting the idea of what's happening it's a, it's a very dread kind of waiting for <coughs> movie um mm-hmm. i think it's good i don't i don't absolutely love it or anything like that um and the problem with like something when the witch came out like now it's like everybody's doing that and that's it's a good thing and kind of a, it can be annoying at certain times too can't it a certain extent like we're getting like the same movies over and over again we always get that though oh yeah yeah i mean movies it, it come in strides you know yeah
2: like like what's in season this year you know what's what's right now it's the art of film. the witch.
0: it's the art horror film that's what's going on yeah and, and
2: <laughs> i think a lot of art horror films tend to like uh, they like exist in circles because i feel like when you watch one you watch there's so many that are released around it that are kind of the same story yeah
0: it's kind of the same like themes well people couldn't get these movies made before and then when they actually could then they started doing it right um, i think it's it's definitely worth checking out it's not in full widescreen it, it's definitely doing one of these kind of strange deals with i've been seeing a lot more lately like first reformed and lighthouse i, I didn't feel like i it looked almost like four by three too but which yeah. is weird to see on a big screen like it didn't fill the whole screen at all no so uh, I do enjoy the movie. I do think it's great. Uh, this is one of these things where you can look at it, and any shot from the movie would great, make a great painting on your wall. Mm-hmm. But I, I, if the ending is a little lackluster for me, I did think that the third act was not as strong as the rest of the movie. Where where are we looking at
2: the third act? Are we looking? There's a scene where where the witch and Gretel have a conversation. That scene's great. And that scene, you know, to me, I think that's like the beginning of the third act. No, I think the third act starts a little sooner than that. Yeah, it probably does start a bit sooner. But that scene, I think, makes the third act when they're yeah, at the table. That's a good scene.
0: I, I also don't like, oh, this would be kind of going to spoiler territory, so I, I'll pass it. There's something along with the spoilers that would, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of. But all in all, it's a solid movie worth checking out and uh, see it. If, if you want more movies made like this, go go try to see it in theaters because I know Underwater didn't do very well. So, you know and I know I heard the turning is pretty bad and um, I, I just didn't have much interest in that one I couldn't see all of them so I chose uh, Underwater and I would, um, this one over The Grudge and The Turning
2: yeah I would recommend this over Underwater um, I don't know I had a meh experience of Underwater eh, well um, I'm good on this one you yeah I'm good go see it
3: I'm called Gretel and this rough one here is my brother Hansel
0: fairy tale again. It's too scary, you know, start seeing things that aren't there.
1: You've been turned out of your home. Set out to fend for yourselves with only your clothes and your hides.
4: I'm hungry. I'm hungrier than you are. Because you're a pig. (gasps) Look. It smells of cake. Careful with that, dear. I'd
3: hate for you to start something you can't stop. Please make your
1: acquaintance. I'm called Gretel, and this rough one here is my brother, Hansel.
0: Ouch! something wrong here. But it's so pleasant. Where are all the animals? From where does she draw milk?
3: Gretel There's a storm coming.
4: This is your
3: power. To see what is hidden and to take it. <coughs> we were given the same gift. The same magic What did you do with him? All that is left
4: is to make him
0: All right, this next one is from the Glorious Year 1985, and it is a sequel of sorts made by Disney, and this is a weird-ass movie. It is Return to Oz, uh, starring Fariz- Zuka Bulk. Yeah, why? Um, uh, why her, or just why a sequel to the Wizard of Oz in 1985? Why everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The funny thing is, I didn't. I knew these were based on a book, but I guess I really didn't look much into it. But you said there's six books, and this there's, is a combination of two of them.
2: Yeah, okay. So I thought that there are only like six books, but there's actually like 14. I actually had to look it up after we watched it. Because my whole life, I've always confused Narnia and Oz. Okay. Because I read them both at roughly the same time, and they both have a line in them at some point.
0: Okay. So there's fourteen Wizard of Oz books. I'd say old, about fourteen. Canon. Okay, yeah. so the plot here is um geez, I forgot her name for a second. Wendy, right? Wendy. <laughs> sure, yeah, Wendy Dorothy. It's yeah, Dorothy. yeah, Wendy
2: on her quest to help Dave Thomas. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Rescue. These burgers aren't good anymore. <laughs> the Buford, okay, okay. Bro. Dorothy Gale,
0: which I don't remember ever her saying her full name, but they keep calling her Dorothy Gale. Dorothy Gale in this one uh, for Zuka Ball. She's back on the farm. It has been destroyed by a tornado, and she's constantly in in. She's worried about the people of Oz. She wants to go back and help them. Her aunt and uncle in this one are actually played by Piper Laurie from Carrie and Ruby. And uh, Matthew Clark from uh, Cold Pepper County, Cold Pepper County uh, Company. And uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Uh, Will Penny. He's just a kind of Western genre actor that pops mm-hmm. up in a bunch of stuff. Kind of blew my mind that he played her uncle in this one. So that was very nice. Right off the bat, we got two kind of genre actors popping up in here character actors of sorts um so essentially they take her to a big city doctor to help her with <laughs> their sleep and they want to give her shock treatment shock right. therapy um this is like right at the uh turning of that i guess it's kind of a new thing uh mm-hmm. so we have this kind of crooked doctor her and another girl try to escape they jump in the river they fly down they wake up and well he she wakes up in like a pool of water in oz with her beloved uh chicken from the farm belinda Belinda. The talking chicken in this one. Toto, not in it. Got no. left at the farm. Uh, I he's broke busy. my heart. Uh, but so it, this is a weird movie. Uh, some evil master has taken over Oz and he's turned everyone to stone that she loves. So the sca- uh, the Tin Man, the Lion, they're all missing. The Scarecrow's being held captive. But she meets a new array of friends to try to help her face off against the evil which is this? I don't remember his name. The Gnome King, which as a kid I always read as Nomi King. Nomi King. Yeah. But he's uh, uh. So you thought it was David the Nomi?
2: Oh yeah, I didn't. No, no, because because they in the no? book it's, no or Nomi Nomi because no Gnome is G N O M E, but in in the book it's N O M E. So I'm like well, Nomi, and then like. Until I, literally, until we watched this movie, I'm like, oh, it's Gnome. You really okay. thought he was the Gnomey King? I mean, okay. I only read it. I All never right. watched
0: the movie. <laughs> so, the people she meets are really strange. And I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that, like, these characters were going to be in here. I, did, I just glanced at the cover and went, and I didn't really pay much <laughs> attention. Because I don't. I just I knew I wanted to watch it. So, we have TikTok and uh, Jack, who is a pumpkin man. And uh, the, the, what's his name? The is goob it, or the gob or something? The, the gruff? Gruff? Grump. Grump? Grump. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is a crazy movie. Mm-hmm. But essentially, she runs into all sorts of, you know, like, crazy things like a evil desert and um, these crazy uh, wheelers that I, I don't know what the hell they are. Must be the most uncomfortable thing ever as an actor to yeah. be in. And uh, an evil witch. Or She's a witch. She kind of, she switches heads. Yeah, she is a witch. But, but she's not one of the wicked witches. She's not one of the witches. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and that these are all people in her real life, of mm-hmm. course. So it kind of goes to uh, the, the very end. She finds a scarecrow and he's been turned into an ornament and she has to stand off against the gnome king, who is a real cool power where, like, he has a stone man who, like, appears in all the stones, kind of mm-hmm. like the, the mirror the the mirror character and what is it is it is it Sleeping Beauty or Snow White mirror mirror on the wall who's the fairest of them all that's Snow White that's that that character the stone character that looks around for the uh, master like he can appear in his face in any stone and listen yeah. information he reminds me a lot of that mirror mirror on the wall character
2: they they remind me a lot of um some of the characters in Labyrinth yeah um there's the door knockers obviously but then there's like the whole scene with um when Jennifer Connelly's falling down the hand tunnel and all the hands yeah. make faces and like, talk to her and that's kind of what he reminds me of it's fantastic to
0: watch and the end of this one um when they face off against the gnome king and they have mm-hmm. to guess uh who the scarecrow which ornament he's been turned into in a, in a bunch of ornaments is, is a really cool scene it reminds me of that kind of stuff like indiana jones uh and the last crusade where you have to mm-hmm. choose wisely or your you know your fate is sealed they kind of do that and make all the characters go through um It it does the thing, too. Like, we know how the Scarecrow actually was smart, and the Tin Man had a heart, and the Lion had his courage. Like, TikTok is like, he doesn't have any feelings. He doesn't, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But he literally is the most intelligent, heartfelt, great character in the whole movie. And they know TikTok's the fan favorite. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's a badass. He's like this Tin Man that you wind up and he fights and everything, but he has like a thinking wind up, a fighting wind up. He's he's really awesome. But I honestly want to say who steals the show besides the kind of monster characters is the Gnome King. Oh yeah. Oh, that's such a brilliant villain performance.
2: Yeah. Um as I guess
0: wrong he gains power and he becomes more and more real his thing is he must turn everyone from Emerald City who remembers Emerald City into stone so mm. he can become a man right that, that's his deal so he's constantly like changing from stone to man and it's just really cool special effects how they utilize that um, mm. and generally kind of creepy um, the lightning that they used throughout this entire movie and the loud noises the surround sound was excellent because there's right. a giant storm in the beginning it makes you jump it's really crazy and and one of the creepiest moments is when they actually um, she invades the witches uh, a house who has like all the heads, mm-hmm. and so like all the heads are watching her in glass cases as she walks around, and like it's it's really cool and different. That that kind of whole idea that she puts the heads on and remembers different things blows my mind.
2: Right? Is her name Mambi? Moby Moby
0: Moby M
2: O M B I I think. Yeah, uh, Mombi. Mambi. Yeah, yeah. Um, she she fantastic. I love her design. Um, you know, like. It, her, like, the body part, like, what she's wearing, you know, because when you see her, she has a different head, obviously. Yeah. Um, It's very, like, uh, a, a mono-styled, like, the way that she, like, has, like, the feathers frilling out, and, um, like, her running around in the house without the head is just kind of, like, it's kind of terrifying, I'm not going to lie. This is
0: nightmare fuel. Yeah. This is definitely one of the movies that kids saw as a young age, and they were terrified of. Um, I, I did one a, a few weeks back, that really weird... um jeez, uh, uh, Mother Goose movie. And this mm-hmm. is kind of similar. I bet kids had nightmares of that. But this one more so. More yeah. so for sure. Because uh, it is scary at times because the characters are in peril and you think some of them are going to die and not be okay. Oh, yeah. There, there's... Um
2: I can't remember what the deserts called, but it kills you if you touch touch it. You turn to sand. Yeah, you turn to sand and you're dead. And like, I think one of the wheelers falls in it at one point. Yeah, and we're like, and I'm like, holy, okay. It's
0: it's a high adventure movie too. Oh yeah, there's stakes. It it reminds me of stuff like Indiana Jones and Star Wars too, in in some ways. In this fantasy world, I I really like it. It
2: makes me think of like like Neverending Story, the
0: labyrinth. um... And I think it's good. I know it's got kind of a weird rep for being just kind of batshit crazy and nothing else. But Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the better kids' movies I've saw that still holds up. I mean, like... You kind of if it's a kid's movie and you didn't grow up with it, it kind of has to have such a weird kind of thing to it, like this or Peanut Butter Solution, that's got to hook you in that you got to think, who made this and why? But at the same time, it's just if that's all a movie has going for it, like who made this? Like, right. It's not going to be, it, it's not, doesn't really surpass anything. But this is, I think this is good. <laughs> I think this is entertaining and mm-hmm. um, just weird. And it actually made me think a couple times, like, oh, wow, what I never think i saw a character who could switch heads and not remember everything right you know, and, and just remember certain things from the head yeah I, like being a wet head she has yeah. she
2: remembers like oh i have the key over here um ozma's in it which if you don't know ozma is in but like i like the character ozma she's the queen of oz you know um what, what there was something else i wanted to add oh um the entire time I'm watching the movie, I'm like, "Fine, you know, like, like this is a fun little adventure. It's kind of scary at times." And then, like, for no reason, at the very end, at the very end, Dorothy's like, "I didn't say goodbye to my friend," and she goes up to the lion, who is literally just a lion. And, like,
0: and they look so weird. Like, yeah. the lion, the Scarecrow, and the Tin Man don't look like anything. They're just like <laughs> weird puppet men that eyes are like this. Like,
2: right. And then like like she's like, I'll miss you line and like I just like teared up for no reason. I'm like, What (laughs) the it wasn't even in this movie? Like he showed his
0: statue once for like ten seconds and it's like it's definitely some music cue probably in there in his goofy dumb face like huh? right. But I also think that it's kind of scary right off the bat like you know the Wizard of Oz by heart. I'm mm-hmm. sure everyone's seen it, but then you get to this world and this isn't the Wizard of Oz that you know. No, like the no. Lion and the Tin Man and the Scarecrow aren't there to help you. Right, Toto's not even there. She just she's completely. She's got a talking chicken with her, which mm-hmm. actually has some of the best animatronic <laughs> work. Like sometimes the chicken looks uh, real. It is a real chicken, and then sometimes it looks very real. Right, I think it does. But that poor chicken and got the hell beat out of it. You know, it just running up the stairs with it. And yeah.
2: Shit. Mm. Um, the actress that plays the witch, um, she she's fantastic. She also plays the nurse in the beginning. I think. Oh yeah, but um, it switches a couple times. Yeah. The Head
0: switch on her though.
2: Right. But um, I really liked her. I, th- I think the final head that she wears is the nurse no, head. It's, it's not. not? No. Oh, I thought it was the same. No. Like when she goes up to the gnome king, that's not the nurse. But,
0: but you know what's funny? No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. No, It's it's a dark-haired woman that's the second head, I think, is who the nurse is. is she it... chases him out and stuff. She has dark hair, not red hair. Now, does the nurse have red hair? Yeah. No. The main villain at the end has red hair, and the nurse has the dark hair. Oh, okay. Hair okay. Um, you know what also people could say is like, well, Dorothy actually never went to Oz the second time. It was a fever dream in the first movie, and <laughs> it was shock therapy in the second.
2: You know, they could say that... If you look I guess if you watch the movies you can come to that conclusion. Mm, if you read the books shock
0: treatment I mean that that's like a fantastic a movie. Wire. Which Rick Maya should have played all the Wheelers by the way. He could have been a wheeler, a very good one. I did think one was Kurt Fuller for a second. <laughs> but uh, Um
2: But no, in in the book it is quite apparent that um Dorothy goes to Oz and she
0: says Oz several times. Fever dream and shock therapy. I just wanna see the crossover where they shock therapy Mac Murphy from One Pool of Cuckoo's Nest <laughs> and he's in Oz. <laughs>
2: I, I I'm gonna make some inappropriate comments, so I'll oh, right, try to sleep for another with all the other day. Right? Rules, he's such
0: a bad guy. <laughs> all right, but uh, good movie, good movie. Mm. Um, uh, I'm good on this one. You? Yeah, go watch this one.
1: This summer, Walt Disney Pictures presents a motion picture fantasy adventure beyond your fondest imagination. You'll be transported miraculously back to the enchanted land of Oz, that magical kingdom beloved by young and old for generations.
2: It's just a yellow brick. No, Bellina, you don't understand.
4: This was the yellow brick road.
1: You'll share with Dorothy Gale the shock of finding everything mysteriously changed.
4: What's happened to everybody?
1: And you'll delight with her discovery of four wonderful new friends who band together against a wicked queen and the dreaded Gnome King. This is the Oz you haven't seen before. And this is the Oz you'll want to visit again and again. From Walt Disney Pictures comes a whole new world of entertainment. I don't just fly back to Kansas. Return to Oz. For all who are willing to pay the price, we invite you
4: to go through the mirror of life. Uh.
0: Okay, uh, it's time for Hammer Time. And we got Lust for the Vampire. This is directed by Jimmy Sangster, who wrote a bunch of these early on and directed a couple as well. It stars supposedly Ralph Bates, who is is not really starring in this movie, but he's listed as he stars in this one. Ralph Bates is in Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde, which is next week's movie. And, uh, geez, he's in Taste the Blood of Dracula, Horror Frankenstein. So, yeah, he must have had some kind of name recognition going into this one. Um, This is the second of the Karstein trilogy, and some of the rules do apply, some of the characters do come back, which was very surprising and refreshing. What we have here is kind of an isolated girls' school, which it just screams very European uh, Mm -hmm. horror film, you know, House That Screamed, uh, any Dario Argento movie, uh, all girls kind of (laughs) school, and they're kind of isolated out in the middle of nowhere, uh, near the old Karstein castle. Yes. Uh, What happens is, in the very beginning, the Count, who was in the previous movie, the guy riding the dark horse, and the Countess resurrect uh, Carmelia. But she doesn't look the same. They kind of like supposedly maybe you think that her face I, I think it's just a change of an actress. But yeah. they use like a young pretty girl to reincarnate her which is a cool scene. She ends up enlisting in this school. The Countess takes her over there and she enlists. Mm-hmm. And uh, some weird kind of journalist who's also a teacher wants to go to the school. He's a real bag. Wants to sleep with the young girls. He ends up kind of enlisting and going there too to kind of spy on the girls. Gets involved with Carmilla and realizes she's a vampire. So all sorts of things like that ensue. And and they're trying to cover up the crazy things happening at the school. Ralph Bates works at the school. He plays a kind of a weirdo obsessed with the occult kind of teacher. Mm-hmm. That's the setup.
2: Yeah, that's the setup. Um, there are different stories in this one. I feel there's the teacher and his endeavor story. There is Ralph the Bates' story. Ralph Bates' story. There's the head he, the headmaster story. The headmistress' story. The police story. Which involves the headmistress. Which head, involves the, the headmistress. Not mistress master. Would it be a headmaster even if she's um She thrower? runs a school. I thought it would just be a headmistress. Whatever. I don't know. I don't know. I haven't read Harry Potter. Um, I did. Uh, and they have... Um, my favorite story is the father and the doctor. Oh. And um, that
0: father, actually, you mentioned Labyrinth on the last <coughs> movie. Uh, he mm-hmm. actually plays one of the voices of the doors in the Labyrinth. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, so well, I'll be darned. That's nice. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, like, the the opening of this, like, we have, like, Carmilla doing her kind of lesbian thing and, like, mm-hmm. you know, killing girls here and there. And you don't realize, you never see who actually it is. But, you because know, they kind of point out that you think somebody might be going on. Mm-hmm. But I called it uh, after a little bit. I said that, and, and they do a twist with Ralph Bates, which I thought was really kind of cool, even yeah. though it's a little obvious. But I, I liked what happened with him. Uh, Like you said, your favorite plot point is the father coming to look for his daughter, which yes. which doesn't happen a lot in these Hammer movies where somebody's like, so-and-so, you know, uh, a new character comes in. Well, it happens a couple times. It'll come halfway through. I think yeah. Van Helsing comes halfway through a horror Dracula, so at right. like that 30-minute mark. So this character comes in, this father, and he doesn't believe what happened to his daughter because the headmaster, headmistress, wrote all this fake bullshit, and the Count... Who's kind of lurking around, making sure everything goes right? He is uh, acting as a doctor, right. so every time somebody dies, he just says heart attack. Right? And he does his his best Christopher Lee impersonation. Yeah, you yeah. can tell they want at least so bad for it. They
2: even do the the red eyes at one yeah. point where, where, that he has in Dracula. But, but,
0: but it's very funny. Like he'll anybody who dies, he's a like, heart attack. Yeah, they just like decapitated. There's a young ten girl, <laughs> like young like sixteen year old girl, and he's a like, heart attack, and like he signs a death certificate. So <laughs> it. it it smells like bullshit. This right. father was out to sea or something. He was uh, away on business. So when he comes back, he realizes his daughter's dead. He goes back to his castle. And he gives some of the best speeches to oh. this headmistress. And she's just like, oh. she's pulling a Mel from sleepaway camp. Right. Where she doesn't want her business to be ruined. And like in sleepaway camp, like kids are ended up dead left, dead left and right. The guy gets burned and he's trying mm-hmm. to cover it up. He's sliding money in people's pockets. It's like, <laughs> you're trying to ruin me. And this is basically what she's doing. She's like trying to cover it up, even though she's taking the advice from these two creeps, the Who are clearly not on the level. Right. But vampires walk around in the day in this one, too. Yeah, and they did in Carmilla, too. In in, uh, Vampire Lovers. Yeah. Which is the first one.
2: Um, The. The butler in the first one plays the inspector in this one, and, and he, he has the same demeanor. Same demeanor. He's just, he's just a jerk. He's but
0: just. He's but only he's right. A, he's only a jerk when he's provoked, and, he, and right. it's that's why it's so cathartic when he actually <laughs> becomes a jerk because he's he's you know like he's only making like being rude to people that are complete pieces of shit or assholes or being right. like he's like so why didn't you call that this person was there? and he like drills into this headmistress. She's like crying, like
2: okay, I'll do what she's advice. a
4: horrible person.
2: She is a horrible person. She she she's trash. Like um the gym or yeah the gym teacher. Um she's like oh you know we should tell the authorities like immediately when the girl's gone missing. The headmistress like. Uh you just opened up she'll be back she's off of a boy she's like no she's dead we, we could have found, <laughs> found her for two
0: days right and, and when the inspector's like you didn't say anything for 48 <laughs> hours it's so it's brilliant acting performance um, we're kind of going all over all the places yeah, It's probably yeah. not much use to anybody that hasn't seen the movie it's a fun movie <laughs> but, I really liked it uh, it is a good one I do think Vampire Lovers is a little better
2: Vampire lovers is one of Ingrid Pitt.
0: Yeah, and I wish Ingrid Pitt returned back for Carmilla.
2: I wish Ingrid Pitt returned because I really do like her. Um,
0: we're on a we're on a hot streak right now.
2: Yeah, the I would say the one thing that I did not like about this, and I didn't like the writer. And oh, the his, main guy. He's yeah, very. He has good. no redeeming qualities as a character, as a human being, and the way that his story ends, I'm like, should have killed him. Should have killed him Should have killed him Should have been Because yeah, he, Hammer's kind
0: of... no stranger To the dark ending Right
2: yeah Not at all And he's kind of A piece of shit In the whole movie Yeah he's
0: despicable Yeah
2: and like I don't know Is is that like Me being Like a woke person In
0: 2020 Am well, I like he, he invades a school To try to sleep <laughs> With a bunch of 16 year olds Right And the guy who has His position He sends off On a wild goose chase Which is a hilarious scene Right Um. <laughs> but um geez, who plays The gym teacher She was in another Hammer one that I can't remember. Um, I I like how she looks. I think she's very unique and attractive. And I just can't think of who she is. She was in another one we saw. Didn't she say she was in a witch one? I don't know if she's in the witches. Uh, There's only one witch one. I can't remember. She does look familiar. Yeah, she's in another one, but I can't exactly remember. I I would recommend this one. I really like it. I think I'd come in at a a 7.5 out of Mm -hmm. 10 on it. I'd I'd give
2: this one maybe 4.5. and. i would honestly i really did like this one um aside my my misgivings with the writer because he is a terrible character every other character in this is just so much fun even the the knockoff christopher lee guy is fun hot you aside. know heart attack and you know it's like okay sir you need to chill
0: out he's actually in a movie with christopher lee and peter cushing too that's terrible I, yeah. is, is he in, in matt raven i think <laughs> is his name
2: they should get, what's that guy in um, Scream? Scream and Scream Again. Oh,
0: the, the Scream and Scream Again. The guy that if you ever watch the trailer of Scream and Scream Again, they'll be listing all the people, and it's one of the rare movies where um, the big three are in there. And it'll be like Christopher Lee, Vincent Price and Peter Cushing and the show showing a face of each of the actors and when it gets to Peter Cushing whoever edited the trailer was a fucking moron because they put this other guy in there who I think it, it might be the guy from The Man Who Could Cheat Death I think it is and, and they put his face in there instead of um, Peter Cushing and it's like uh, he's in the movie predominantly more Peter Cushing has a tiny role but it's just right. like you moron like they you had like that, the same haircut yeah and, maybe. And, but I mean the jaw lines nothing looks alike no. it's it, somebody had like face blindness right they didn't exactly. watch any horror movies whatsoever <laughs> but we're, we're trailing off here yeah like. I know I know, I know, I know. But that guy's like the equivalent to Christopher Lee. Yeah, that's
2: exactly what this guy is. But no, I thought that every character did a fantastic job. I I would give it four and a half.
0: I really do. Maybe I'll bump it up to four if I rewatch, because I
2: really liked it too. Mm hmm. Um,. And really, I think that the scene with the father speaking with the headmistress, Ooh. I think, makes the movie because that is just. Some... I was like this
0: the whole time, and then when it was done, I said that was the finest piece of acting right. I've seen in ages. Like literally, it like because I... he, he he attacks it like a Peter, like a Columbo or Co, like a Columbo, where he's like, "So you're telling me that you did like he, you know, he, on the way there he was practicing thinking of everything to say mm-hmm. to this woman, and when he got there, he didn't fucking miss a line. It right? Perfect. It was perfect. So I'm going to read. You want to go first? <coughs> what book yeah, do you we'll got nice. there? Uh, Tear on Tape Tear by on James O'Neill. He gives out of four stars. Yeah,
2: four stars. He gives, so was is, is, is a blank star a half? Yeah. Or, okay, so he gives us two and a half out of four. 1971, 91 minutes. Lesbian vampire, Merkala Karnstein, Danish Dish Stensgard, is divided by the blood of a peasant girl and goes on a rampage at a girl's finishing school next door to a ruined family estate. This colorful, somewhat contrived sequel to The Vampire Lovers has lots of needlessly goofy touches, like a pop song called Strange Love droning on during a sex scene, but it has a spirited cast to a clever ending to, and a clever ending to recommend, a TV title to Love a Vampire. I forgot about the pop yeah, it song. It's
0: all psychedelic and like uh, right. the crazy colors. I was like, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not high right now. So this one is Creature Features, John Stanley, and he rates out of five stars, and he gave it three out of five. In the wake of the success of the Vampire Lovers, a blatant, uh, jeez, why am I so dumb when it comes to that mean? A, a game? Game? Huh? It's a word that if I, I hear pronounced out, if I, you say it, I'll know it, and I'll feel dumb. I never Am uh, Amigame. Amigame. I don't am-a-game. know that am-a-game. word. Never do I. Amigame. Oh. I feel like if somebody else said it, I'd know it. Uh, Of lesbian love and vampirism, Hammer produced a sequel in the Karstein series, utilizing characters created by J.S. Lee Fanu, although any relationship to the original book was abandoned for commercial shock and gore horror. A girl's finishing school next door to Karstein Castle provides the perfect setting for dozens of nubile women exercising in flowing white robes and some exercising lesbian contact with a girl named Mercala. Jimmy Sangster directed uh, Tudor Gates' script without subtlety, which forced U.S. distributors to cut heavily. I don't think this one's nearly um, as sleazy as some of the other ones. No, I mean, there's a little bit of nudity. Yeah, but, but it's, it's not a... like Vampire Lovers or Wait. Countess
2: Dracula. Um, is it Amalgam?
0: Amalgam, it is Amalgam. <laughs> is it Amalgam? Oh, I'm such a dummy.
2: Were n't you watching a movie that Jimmy Sangster did? Um, no, uh,
0: I have Freddie Francis, who's a hammer guy, too. Freddie yeah. Francis. Doctor of the Devils, which is
2: spectacular. Is that what you... Okay, because yeah, I, I think we did movie. an interview of him. I was cooking dinner. I wasn't watching it.
0: Okay, so... All right, I was just curious if, if I was remembering the same thing or not. So, next week is Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde. I'd recommend this one. Um, we were on a good streak. We had, mm-hmm. what, Vampire Lovers, Vampire Circus, Countess Dracula, Lust for the Vampire, and I remember liking Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde. We're on a vampire kick, aren't we? And yeah, I don't even good. like vampires. And, and we're... Because... Because uh, we're we're even the good vampire ones. The latter, I like the Christopher Lee vampire ones. Yeah, well, we haven't seen any of the Dracula yet in a while. In a while, yeah. I don't think we've seen the seventies Dracula.
4: mm
0: We can, we got Dracula nineteen seventy A.D. coming up.
2: What 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 year are we at right now? Seventy
0: one. Seventy one. So we got to Sister um, Doctor Jekyll's Sister Hyde next, and then it might be a Dracula.
2: When 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 does Hammer end? What year?
0: Seventy five, seventy six. Oh, so we're nearing the yep. end, are To the Devil a Daughter is the oh. last one we're going to be covering. We're not doing any of the ones that came out later, and we're not doing the TV series. Yeah, no, because we, we have the, we have a different project yep, for you we guys. We have that other project, which yeah. uh, I'll put the links below for that one too. Yeah, but uh, I'm Tarantula. good on it. Tarantula. All right, All right I'm we're good out. We're out.
2: Okay.
1: If the very thought of vampires makes your flesh creep... We call them the undead, They're
4: vampires.
1: If you think all vampires are ugly creatures of the night, then you're in for a shattering surprise. fresh warm blood into a body of thy making welcome to the most exclusive finishing school in Europe where the quest for knowledge continues long into the night you see I have studied your magic I know the black art and I want only to know more and more here the masters are quick to recognize an outstanding pupil the portrait of Carmilla Kahnstein. Died 1710, 120 years ago. And do you know who the portrait was of, Mirkala? It was you. Welcome to the finishing school where they really do finish you. I spent the whole of last night going through Giles' researches. And believe me, they are powerful evidence.
4: Evidence? Of
1: what? That you are a vampire.
4: You say that?
3: And tell me you love me?
1: Prove to me that you're not. Love me.
0: Okay, guys, let's get into these questions. Okay, we have David Leather. Another awesome uh, show. Thank you. I used to own many something weird videos. I lost them through circumstances. I miss them. Did they go out of business? Do you have them in your vast collection? Um, I do have some. I've gotten rid of some that I've upgraded on Blu-ray. I know a lot of people don't do that. I don't necessarily think they went out of business. I do think one, the owner or the founder of Something Weird passed away. But I do know that they might have sold a lot of theirs to EGFA Films. So I don't know exactly where they're at, but their website's still running. I don't think they produce any more Blu-rays, but I think they do have like a vault of movies that they do possibly give to other companies or license out. Um, I'm going to go grab some of the ones I have here and just show you what I still have left, because a lot of them have been upgraded on blu-ray looking at them right here it's just a handful like i said i used to have a bunch more but like i said i uh, upgraded a lot and i just don't have the room to keep them but we have this one a box of blood uh right here uh bloody pit of horror, carnival of blood curse of the headless Horseman, bloodsuckers and bloodthirst i'm not gonna do the whole like cut in on them but what else we got we got Drive-In Double Feature to the Filers and Scum of the Earth. Scum of the Earth, come on. I know people, people mention how much they hate Rob Zombie, so that one's for you. Um, we have the Andy Milligan Double Feature, the Ghastly Ones, and Seeds of Sin. A lot of these aren't even opened. I, see, because I kept the ones that I haven't even opened yet, and a lot of the other ones I've upgraded and watched. Freak Show Box Set, Castle Freak, She Freak, Blood Freak, and Basket Case. Of course, I have Basket Case, but I don't have any of these other ones on Blu-ray. So, And then what else do we got? Uh, the Mad Butcher. Look at that guy. Love the mustache. Love the facial hair. Um, double Feature of an Orgy of Terror, Night of the Bloody Apes, and A Feast of Flesh. See, a couple of these are video nasties that never had releases in the States besides that. Rattlers. Uh The Thirsty Dead and the Swamp of the Ravens. Ooh, that's going to be a terrible noise for you guys. I am sorry. Uh, Hold on, I'm going to redo that one. So if there's a cut. We have uh, the Thirsty Dead and the Swamp of the Ravens. Then we have This Stuff Will Kill Ya and The Year of the Yahoo. Which I think that I actually have both of these are, uh, you know, Herschel Gordon-Lewis set. So, yeah. So that's all I have. I'm going to walk away like an unprofessional asshole now and put them back on the shelf because I am a crazy person. But uh, what are the other questions? Hopefully that was all right for you. Uh, we got Temple Tapas. Would you say that your opinion uh, on S- a Scream is a horror movie with the worst legacy, Im- imitators and influence, would you say that, in your opinion, Scream is the horror movie with the worst legacy, imitators, and influence? I can't remember. You might have said something like that before. I, I don't know if I said that, but I most certainly agree with it. Scream's a great movie. Scream's a classic. Obviously, Scream's proved itself. But people are like, it saved the horror genre. And, and what horror movies did it make afterwards that were good? I'm not saying that, you know, people say Friday the 13th. They never say it saved the genre or Halloween saved the genre. It changed the genre. And Scream did the same, too. Okay? It it rejuvenated the genre. Maybe some people didn't want to watch horror movies until Scream came along and then they were sucked into it. But I think that the majority of movies that were directly influenced or imitators of Scream are fairly garbage. And I think that, I'm going to say this and it's not going to sound good, that so many independent filmmakers that's favorite movies, Scream, tend to make the same movie over and over again. But everyone does it, I guess. But I don't like those kind of... I don't like bloodless nudity with bloodless mo- uh, slashers without nudity that are boring. You need to be like, if you're going to be on a budget and you don't have a great story, you need to suck the audience in with some exploitative elements. I'm sorry. I know that sounds maybe trashy or anything, but that's the truth. If you ain't got the money, you need a crazy idea, a crazy way to make movies or something that's just exploitative that will get people in their seats. And, you know, scream imitators that are a dollar, they don't have that. Uh, from de- front desk Matt, is that Lawnmower Man, the long cut or the shortcut? It's both cuts, Matt. Both cuts are on the disc. The two disc. Zach Nolan, my top favorite, Giallos. Deep Red, Tenenbray, Don't Torture a Duckling, Torso, The House of the Laughing Windows. What are some of yours? Well, you got two of favorite mine on there. You got Tenembrae and Don't Torture a Duckling, two of my all-time favorites. I would add to that list, what have you done to Solange I really like. Jeez, um, I don't want to... Bird with the Crystal Plumage is a pretty solid one as well. Uh... But usually don't torture a duckling and uh, Tenebrae are my two favorites. Um, and then like stuff like what have you done to Solange is probably another one that I would highly recommend that people don't really pick up as much. Oh geez, I'm trying to think like I, there's ones I like tons of ones I like like who saw or die or whatever what have they done to your daughters but it's not the ones that I would put in the caliber of those other ones to be honest. so like I just don't want to spin them out uh, like that. I would jacket the one I would put. What have you done to Solange with those ones? Not as good as those ones, but I, I like that one. Uh, maybe just soft spot for me. Nick Mua, another great episode, Dave. Uh, but did my eyes deceive me, or did Jeremy look a bit tired? Are you working him too hard? Well, the thing is, Jeremy works third shift, so sometimes it'll be early morning or like earlier for him, and he'll get up and do these reviews for me because he's a nice guy. So if he looks tired or off, or you know, we're on two different schedules. So if I'm like, yeah, i hyper, and he's like. You me, please. It's because we work different shifts. Uh, Would you ever use a smartphone to shoot a film you were directing? Yes, I would, because I'm not going to be the DP, and I've seen some of the movies made with smartphones uh, on a low budget, and they look a lot better than a lot of other people. You know, if they know what they're doing, then they can make a good-looking movie. I've seen people badmouth smartphones and then turn in a pile of shit that looks like dog shit, and it looks horrible. And they're like, I don't use a smartphone. Well, what are you using? Fucking fruit by the foot? Because your movie looks worse than that smartphone. So, hey, you know. Whatever as long as it looks good and it gets you the you know it depends what you want to do i I'm, on a budget i would i would use the smartphone uh, if you had enough money to start your own production company, what would you call it um i don 't know i definitely maybe um I probably would, you know, like like the movies I made, I just would call Mr. Producta, Mr. Parker Productions or something like that. But if it was going to be a production company, I'd probably want something a little more professional. I, I'd want a partner, and I'd have that partner and me. We'd come up with something together that sounded moderately professional, but also catchy. So, see, I, I wouldn't want to determine that right off the top of my head without, you know, having someone as a partner in that kind of element. But let me think. I, would def- I might even name it after something. Um... Maybe just like two directors or something like that. Uh, I, I will want a George Romero reference in there sometime. Or like uh, maybe just Bloody Romero. Because Bloody Sam Peckinpah and George Romero mix. Bloody Romero Productions. Something like that. Or Bloody George. Something. Uh, Answers. Last time I asked you what is the most heated argument you've ever gotten into about film. So here we go. Answers. Viper Rose 1978. You guys like threw a bunch of questions at me. So this is going to be a while. So if I get like dry mouth or I'm like mispronouncing stuff, forgive me. But uh, yeah, also people are throwing some shade. There are some hot takes. Uh, There's some bold, horde state, bold horror statements here. Uh, Shockwave's reference there. But Viper Rose 1978. Hmm. Got into an argument about which of the Romero trilogy is best with my brother a long time ago. We almost came to blows. I always pick day. He goes with night. Nick Muller. Very embarrassing. That's that's kind of a night and day. Are the two? I think Dawn's probably the fan favorite too. So it's crazy. Day's my favorite. Day's my favorite. Think Moore, very embarrassing example, but I got into an argument with someone in my teens that Roland Emmerich's Godzilla was an excellent film. Yikes, how dumb I was, I. Justin Morovic, when someone told me the guy at the end of Old Boy cutting his tongue off was random and made no sense, then admitted to not really reading the subtitles, I was pretty annoyed. Sounds annoying. Uh, Damien Zygote, Amish Devil. Hmm. Uh, Cameron Scott, whether or not the Blues Brothers was a musical or not, I was on the side that it was. I won the argument by sheer stubbornness, I think. I think it counts, right? There's a bunch of musical numbers in there. Peter England, Cameron Scott, even... uh, Oh, he's replying to Cameron Scott. Even Oh Brother, Where Are Thou? is a musical. Sadie Tate, any and everything about Mulholland Drive. Nick uh, D. Hunt, The Village. Arguing about The Village. William Adcock, whether the original Lady Living Dead was explicitly written as being about racism or not. It's a good one to argue about. Corilla Warren got blocked and removed from a review site by the owner over my love of Serbian film. He thought it was a disgusting portrayal of child porn and he refused to see any other viewpoints. So he just blocked me and removed me from the site. Matthew Hamm. Corella Warning. Sounds like the owner of the site can't handle the truth. Jonathan Doe. The Wicked Witch of the East, bro. People keep posting this video these two guys arguing about it. Uh, John uh, Lauterbach. Oh, I once got into the LSD-fueled argument over the film Unbreakable that lasted for about 12 hours, leading to taking more acid in the morning, seeing the first showing of the next day. Literally a 12-hour argument. The premise was whether or not the movie should be the beginning of a franchise or just a standalone. When we went on and saw the movie, trying not to fall asleep and totally fried, we realized that not only was my side correct, that the movie should stand alone, but also fuck that movie as it was boring as hell. The ears would not treat our conclusions so kindly, though. I still haven't seen the sequels. Lee Bishop, having to explain to people that Jason Voorhees isn't a deadite and how and why Jason goes to hell and all the new line films aren't canon on Friday the 13th. <laughs> um, I remember uh, my friend Jason Lindbergh tried to tell me that Brides of Dracula wasn't canon in the Hammer-like Dracula series. I was like, it's canon. It's, li- it's, it's not even argument. Hammer puts it in canon. It's canon. According to Hammer, it's canon. According to you, it's not. I'll take Hammer's sight. End. Jason Lindbergh. End. Uh, Zach Warratt, when people try to say 28 Days Later is a zombie movie... People need to like when they say "28 Days Later" a zombie film. They need to say it's not a zombie movie, but all intents and purposes, is it's a zombie movie. Like it's it's it. They're not zombies in there, but kind like of like "30 Days a Night" feels a lot like a zombie movie. But they're vampires. It's like the same like kind of setup, you know? Like the way zombies are used is the same way the infected are using "28 Days Later." So people just lump it in with zombies. And I don't really care. I could like I'm not gonna die on either hill. I don't really give a shit. But I, I understand why like, people get annoyed by it. Dustin Mills, back in high school, one of my older friends introduced me to her boyfriend, and within minutes, he was treating me like an idiot for loving dog soldiers. It was more about him being a dick about my opinion than the actual movie, but I went off on him, and then she never really spoke to me again. LOL. Good riddance. Long live dog soldiers, Peter Engelin. At the time, with which was one of my best friends. About which is horror not. It started with the Targets, 1968. Road Games, 1981. Perito Durango, 1997. Which, in my opinion, are horror movies. And then from a movie, then from movie to another. In the end, he even said Psycho, 1960, and Night of the Hunter are not are not horror movies. Brian Taylor, how The Hunger Games is a preteen ripoff. A Yorick Dolphing, Sylvia Scumbag. Uh, Mike Merriman getting physically ill over some people's love of the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Uh, Amy Fox Goodwin probably either Fulci vs. Argento or Violent Shit One or Two. Probably that, that cracks me up. This is like we got Fulci and Argento. It's like okay, Violent Shit One or Two. Like I think he spent more time arguing about those movies than they did making them. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but everybody knows the answer is Violent Shit Three. Uh, Virginia Shine in general many arguments uh, she's making a joke because we we're making a joke about that at uh, Wasteland violent shit movies um, violent sh- Virginia Shine in general many arguments many films about time travel and inaccuracy for me as long as it's believable within the world of the film it's all good sometimes for some people that is not enough I mean like if you're watching a movie about time travel there's no way it can work in, in reality you gotta suspend your belief you know y- y- your disbelief it just it's not gonna be it, it can't happen um, unless somebody really knows how, I don't. I don't know. I, I'm not smart enough to understand it. Rebecca Reinhardt, Virginia Shine, I'm with you. If a film sets up its world where blueberries are green and they never veer from that, then I can accept that blueberries are green. Abigail Dagon, uh, or Dagon. I have been pretty intensely verbally attacked online because I love Lucifer Valentine films by people who think they're experts on his personal life because they watch some of his movies. There are people who generally dislike me because I consider him a friend. Ha ha ha. I'm iffy on Lucifer Valentine's movies, you know, like, um, and, and you hear these crazy stories about him, but I guess what is true, right? Is it all part of the persona that he's putting out there? I guess that's the mystery of it, you know, but I wouldn't hate somebody because they are friends with somebody else. Like, that's just weird. Like, that's some high school shit. Like, well, he likes him and I'm not going to that wedding cause they're going to be there. It's like, go fuck yourself. Uh, J. J Alexis, Abigail Dagon, we became friends based on this. Not me attacking you, but you educating me about him. I would like to meet him, but not. Just for the mystique. Uh, uh, Randall Noel, oh wow, I've enjoyed his work, although I haven't seen everything yet. I still need to see his fourth film about Slow Torture, Puke Chamber, and the one that Black Metal Veins. They're they're going back and forth about this. Um, So let's get into... Lexi Everett, I imagine it has to be something about a Serbian film, The Human Centipede, or having to explain to people that no, Evil Dead 2013 is not a remake, or having to explain the difference between remakes, reboots, and sequels in general. Also, more recently, a lot of people seem to have forgotten what a snuff film is. Yeah, if the movie's not actively made to make a profit, it's not a snuff film. Faces of Death, not a snuff film. Also, uh, Evil Dead not being a remake. Um, technically, The End has Bruce Campbell, so they say it's not. And that you do see the vehicle, right, from the original Evil Dead. So it technically would be a reboot, right? A reboot somehow. It's not a direct sequel. Maybe even a sequel, but more of a reboot. I don't know, because it doesn't... Whatever, the reboot thing is just insane. So let me know. What, what would you consider The Evil Dead um, 2013? Uh, then we have Barry O'Connor Conley. Uh, O'Connell, I have long praised the virtues of Halloween three years before it got the reevaluation it deserved. But before then, I got into many arguments about it, and that's funny. Even as a kid, like everybody, ah, like, oh, that one's a shitty one without Michael Myers. And now I'm, it's one of the better ones of the series, pretty much, by everybody considers. So um Jason Limber getting in a dude's face after he and his woman blathered all the way through the the witch, and then stood up at the end and said, "That's it." Totally ruined my first viewing of that film. a lot of the reason I don't go to films like that in the theater anymore. Then these two guys named Dave and Dustin who insist on hating Chud. Man, I just want to kick them in the butt. I don't hate Chud, okay? It's okay. I give it three out of five. I don't hate it. The concept's way better than the actual movie. And then Dustin Mills says, Bud the Chud forever. And then Zach replies to Dustin, my favorite part of this song is when he says Bud the Chud. And Dustin replies, the theme song is the best. I love Chud too. I know people hate it. I don't care. Yeah, it's an awful Chud sequel, but who cares? Chud's not that great anyways. But what it does do, it is it is a great sequel to Return of the Dead Part 2, isn't it? My hair is killing me right now. There we go. And then we have David Morvan. Uh, whether or not one of the zombies in the Demon Warp was wearing a Meet the Resident shirt, they clearly are, but someone was in denial. We round it like 26 times. <laughs> uh, you wooly bastard. Scott Shermer, Contact. I loved it. She hated it. I told her she wasn't even human. Matthew Hamm, My most heated debates revolve around movies and how they have to turn a profit. People forget it's called a movie business for a reason. Uh, Anthony Padilla, Is Jaws a horror movie? Seth Polin, Almost fought a dude during the final scene at Rambo 4. And Jason Limberg wants him to elaborate, so I am going to read this because it's very funny. Uh, Seth Poland, a bunch of high school age girls in a row in front of us had been yakking the whole movie and on their phone saying all the typical shit, this is stupid, this doesn't happen happen in real life, to the stuff that absolutely happens in real life. Just being genuinely obnoxious the entire time. I got fed up with the, during the final scene of Rambo heads home and told them to shut up. They got shitty with me like who am I to tell them to stop talking in the movie. I told one of them to get knocked up. Some guy down the row from me then yelled at me to shut up in the middle of this testosterone filled Rambo movie in the situation building. I told told him to simply fight me. He turned around and didn't say anything. And after the credits rolled, I saw him outside smoking and he wouldn't even make eye contact with me. I was still so mad about everything. And then uh, Jason goes on about bad movie experiences. Oh, he goes, I have no idea why some people go to movies and watch certain movies if you're constantly comparing the movie to reality and what could or couldn't happen. Maybe movies aren't for you. got two friends that do it and won't accept certain films with them anymore because of it. I immerse myself in almost every movie, every film, and it takes me out when people say, he would have died quicker, or why would he go down in the basement? And then Randy Noel, oh, well, normally I see heated debates over which films are the most disturbing. Uh, Nick Anderson, whether or not Batman vs. Superman sucked. It does, though. <laughs> Le- Levy Evererts, uh, Lee, oh, geez, sorry. Levy uh, Everts. if I had a dollar for every single time i argued argue with someone about Batman vs. Superman, Man of Steel, and the fucking Snyder Cut of Justice League joseph conway leather space uh johan erickson not a film but md pope ooh not even gonna touch that one uh jordan bibby the original texas chainsaw massacre is overrated that's a funny way to say underrated eh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bill casanelli the show we did on mom ma dude that on Hor mafia that podcast was insane uh i don't even want to get into it because uh I don't know what the court of law would consider that, but it definitely was illegal. Uh, Michael Honeycutt, before I became a manager at the movie store, my old boss would try to argue with me that Drive was a bad movie. Not in my house. Hashtag Drive. Chris Leppert, he just showed a gif of a long list. Rebecca Reinhardt. I'm embarrassed to say our podcast on Happy Death Day 2 ended in a heated argument. Two out of three of us were caught off a little off guard. Keith Voigt Jr., probably trying to explain the merits of a Serbian film in college. Marine Cre- uh Kern, Fair Baron, Star Wars. Jason Higgins, sadly someone trying to defend 1998 Psycho. Uh, Jonathan Knight in high school over why the Toxic Avenger was better than The Godfather. This poor film nerd almost had a heart attack. I'd love to see that argument. Like, even if you don't believe it, just being like, yeah, what's, what's The Godfather got? Toxic Avenger's got a mop, bro. A mop. Just just the state, just like, just go nuts on it. Just saying stupid shit. I love that. Allison Egan, The Wicked Witch of the East Bro, She posts that same video. Alex Powers, Last Jedi, Randall Hack. I can't allow myself to get into arguments over movies. Smart man. Uh, Paul uh, Gartis, Kiss. My constant hate towards Rob Zombie and his wife and his scripts, his actors, Inc., etc., etc., all of it. When I hear people trying to stick up for his juvenile ass, I immediately jump in for a good old Rob Zombie fight. Uh... And then Shashin Barbarian, uh, same. I hate Rob Zombie from his garbage music to his atrocious movies. I hate when I find out someone that I enjoy, that I like, enjoys Rob Zombie because it makes me think less of them. And then James Bet Jr., are you like a twelve-year-old? It really bothers you that that someone likes something you don't. World should would be boring if everyone was like you. I like Rob Zombie's movies. Now I don't like Thirty One. I do think that is a piece of shit. But uh, I am. Leary, I I used to love Devil's Rejects. It's been like five years. I wonder if I rewatch it, how I'll feel. Uh, Shane Glass over Rosemary's Baby. I think that it's one of the worst movies ever made. That can't be right. (laughs) Edward Payson, the original Halloween sucks. We're throwing some hot takes now. It's just like, got hate for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Rosemary's Baby, Halloween. I understand. I I get sick of hearing about some of the classics too because there's nothing else you can say. Except passing and reference, you know. Matthew Hudson, I just get annoyed, and yes, sometimes angry or heated if people try to tell me it's, it is It is possible to judge films objectively. It can only be subjectively judged. Yes, most people probably will say The Godfather is better than The Room, but there's no clear-cut way to prove it. Yes, there is. I'm just kidding. Uh, Derek Bourgeois, when people don't respect the legend as Jeff Goldblum, I'm like, why? Dude is a stallion of films. Boots hates Jeff Goldblum. Lacey Liu, well, I think the most heated anyone ever came at me was about my review of Strangers Prey at Night. I got told to eat a bag of dicks, lol. Uh, ben uh, Galagos, uh, whether or not the Duke is, was uh, exp- exponentially and overrated. I argue that it is, was. Court Wyatt, uh, Courtney Wyatt, I had a friend tell me they would fight me to the death defending Shelley Duvall as Wendy in The Shining. I'll sanction it. Let's get that fight going uh matthew Cantor, how brimstone is not a horror movie and was very boring it's a horror movie matt (laughs) i'm just kidding uh glenn d witherington trying to explain that i don't like the shining will cardell and then he's upset about it jeffrey uh, jeremy r wicked witch of the west is not evil you can never convince me otherwise fake news oz had the game Matthew Hudson, Jeremy R., I'm sure Glinda fried a couple munchkins in her day, too. The director Wizard of Oz during my summer school days, stock days, trying to explain that the munchkins would be wary of all witches. Rashis Brown Race, this would sound nuts, but I have addressed in the past that more black race, he says. That would sound nuts, but I have addressed in the past that more black African-American um Needs to be a thing. Social commentary address. Let's just say I created a rip in space-time and racial division. LOL. Turns out some people are very or for or against Jordan Peel's social commentaries. Your friendly neighborhood, 5% are stopping by. Peace to the gods. Honestly though, I don't mind social commentary movies at all. Um, as long as it's well done or just because if it's poorly done, it just becomes embarrassing. But if there's like a legit like well done or it's just a good movie good i like it i don't mind it but like if it's poorly done is when it starts to get taxing right but that's in anything that's that's with anything so it's just with social commentary becomes more embarrassing <laughs> if it's poorly done robert barry francos uh or francos uh, whether brian was supposed to be jeebus i said of course not and the other person threatened physical violence so stupid allison hudson that the gremlins and falcor are terrifying Jason Reinhardt, I think she means uh, gizmo because she hates the little like sweet creatures from the 80s. Uh, Jason Reinhardt, I would say the Jeepers Creepers movies. Not so much movies, but the past of the filmmaker. Apparently, because he's a bad guy, we can't watch or enjoy his work. Adrian Hall, where to start, ha ha. John Glow, a friend of mine told me that the new Freddy is better than the old Freddy. That got me pretty heated. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Frado, uh haha. probably when one of my friends called me a film snob for hating Men in Black 2. Alexis Gonzalez, my not wanting to watch Buffy TV show due to not liking the movie. It led me to being physically threatened while safely behind a keyboard. LOL. Also over my refusing to watch Ghostbusters twenty sixteen since I considered a feminist propaganda. And more recently being mocked over liking the thirtieth anniversary edition of Night of the Living Dead and the Night of the Living Dead weekend fan page. I haven't watched the new Ghostbusters. I, I don't it's not because I think it's feminist propaganda. I just I didn't hear many good things about it. and I don't know if it's any good or not. I just didn't have time for it. I don't tip. I did it for a while. If it's not a horror film, I don't typically watch very many new movies. Uh, Will Carnell Halloween six is actually good. Josh Riggs, none. I end them completely with it's fake and scripted. Nothing you can say changes anything and everything happened the way it did because the script said so no argument. So ended Lester T. Jester literally anytime I talk about star Wars, James Bett jr. Mostly defending myself for liking Rob zombie films, pathetic that I even need to, but yeah, in short fights with horror elitist. He's uh, referencing the comments earlier, David Gibson, not really an argument, but when I first started my sadistic cinema podcast, our second show was going to review a Serbian film. My co-host at the time had never seen it. I told him to watch it and let me know what he thought he and I talked daily. And after I had not heard from him for a few days, I messaged him and said he was so he said he was so mad at me for recommending the movie. He was contemplating leaving the show. He got over it, but asked the film not to be discussed, so it's become a running joke to call it the film that we remain nameless. That remain nameless. Tom Brunner, have never had anything remotely close to a heated argument over a film. If we're friends, I respect and encourage difference of opinion. If we're not friends, I don't give a shit what you think about anything. That's That's good. That's a good way to think, to be honest. Uh, Jason's Jacobs, the ending of inception and, uh, Willie at peeping instead from Twitter, defending ghost in a shell live action. Probably hella people still swear it's the most racist film ever made. Oh, I'll say a couple I had, I argued with someone. I don't know why I even bothered about the possibility of Oliver Stone being inspired by cannibal Holocaust. And you know, it's pretty stupid, but I was just like, I just wanted you to say it's possible. But they wouldn't even give me that. But there's stupid shit like that. It's funny, though. You know, it, it, the, you, you might get annoyed when you're doing it, but then you think back, you're like, that shit was funny. Um, okay, and then we have question of the week. Um, favorite horror movie tagline. I want to know your favorite horror movie tagline. But I also want you to make up a tagline for your favorite film. Uh, well, I'll think of one for Day of the Dead real quick. Um I don't know if this is one of the taglines. The Original one is the darkest day of war the world has ever known, but you could say something along the lines of "Even the dead have their day" or something like "The dog uh, dogs have their, the dogs have their day" or something like that. Even the dead have their day or some shit like that it might even be one of the taglines. But uh, I guess we're going to uh, hop into the update. Here we go. Let's hop into this update. We got the Blu-ray edition from Germany of the Golden Glove, and this does have English subtitles on it. So if you want to grab this, it is English friendly. Um, I believe it is a region B, though, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, this is a crazy movie. Really nuts. My understanding is it does have English subtitles, though. Um, we have The Wrath. Um, I basically got this from the buy two, get one uh, target sale. Good price on it. A gore fest with a good story will have you squirming. This is on Shutter if you want to give it a spin before you you buy it, so, yeah. Then we got Bloodline. It's also one of the buy two get ones. I don't remember if it was Amazon or Target. But I heard decent things about this one. I heard it's kind of giallo-like, so why not? Then we got Freaks. Heard good things about this one. Emil Hirsch, Bruce Dern. Yeah, now we're talking. A dark, thrilling sci-fi ride. Uh, again, buy two, get one. This one was also, man, that reflection is terrible. There's a lot of glare because the light's in a bad spot. Portrait of Andrea Palmer. I actually did see this. It was like a private screening at Cinema Wasteland. Um, yeah, this is like a, a, a porn film, but it, it's like, uh, got some, uh, film elements to it. It's not, it. It plays a lot like a horror movie at the same time, but it's an interesting movie. Um, The Wind, uh, Demons of the Prairie. These are all like the buy two, get ones, so... I got good prices on them. This is IFC. Heard good things. This came out heard mixed things, let's be honest. But it came out uh, last year, so. And then we got a dark song. Heard lots of good things about this one, but I never did get a chance to watch it. I think it came out a few years back now. Again, the Shout Factory release. It's supposed to be pretty good. And then we got Big Trouble in Little China. I had two 10 ten dollar vouchers from Shout Factory, so I ordered this along with some pre-orders. Uh, Classic movie. Been a while since I watched it. Love that little meatball guy in there. Yeah, but this is special edition. Got a bunch of special features on there. Can't pass that up. Uh, Then we got another Shout Factory or Scream Factory release. Body Parts with Jeff Fahey. I actually reviewed this one on a bootleg Blu-ray a while back. But that's my rule. If I bought it on uh, bootleg, I got to buy it when it comes out. So, yep. And plus, I do like this movie. It's a cool movie by Eric Redd. Uh, then we got Let's Scare Jessica to Death. This is one I've never seen, and I hear good things constantly from it. Um, from Anybody from Elric Kane to Cat um, Ellinger, they always reference this movie. I respect the hell out of those people, so I really need to watch this one. It's supposed to be an atmospheric horror movie at its finest. Then we got some uh, Vinegar Syndrome, Zombie Island Massacre. This is one title I've heard about for years, but I've never watched. You know, I'm a big fan of zombie films, That's so I've always watched all of them. And this is one that always popped up on names, but never a recommendation. So I always knew about it, but I never watched it. So I think it was a trouble one. Oop! I'm a clumsy. I'm a klutz today. And we got uh, flesh eating Mothers. I have seen this one, but it's been so long. Another Vinegar Syndrome one. I remember being okay with it. They bit off more than they could chew. There's got to be a couple of genre actresses in this one, isn't there? No, I don't know them. I figured like they'd get somebody like a Brink Stevens in here or somebody like that, you know. Uh, Oh, man, I need a real better setup on this, right? Then we have A Thousand and One Erotic Nights. That's a nice one right there. Nice cover. Looks very good. And last, but hopefully not least, we have another vinegar syndrome title coming up. We got Justine. Now, I did have Hard Soap, Hard Soap on order, but it was pushed back, I think, because some uh, issues. But it's still coming eventually. From the cravings of a young girl's dreams to the maturing of a woman's passion we got <laughs> double check make sure these aren't too pornographic on the cover but vinegar syndrome i gotta really start watching a lot of their back catalog like i said i've been trying to watch as many as i could but yeah that's justine i guess we're gonna hop back to the video guys all right we got a patreon shout out uh, to travis Wright. thank you very much for uh your donation i appreciate it very much and uh shoot me a message if you have any comments or concerns man okay guys thank you very much for watching and as always you guys have a good one hey.